holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Good evening, everybody. This is Scott Morganroth for the South Florida Tribune Broadcasting Network, and we are here on the Sports Exchange. I'm with my co-host, Louis Adio Weiss, and leading off is Ryan Skorud. What's up, Ryan? Hey, how's it going, guys? What's going on? Doing good. Ready for another weekend? say the Redskins want to move uh, McLaren around in the uh, formations? question for you okay, okay. this will affect fantasy football probably about five years 
Tom Brady now thinks he can play until he's 46 or 47, says the trainer. And he's 42 years old. What's your take on that? We'll see. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I think it's possible. The way, honestly, with the way that the, the Patriots, for the most part, set up their offense, he's never asked to be a deep ball type of thrower. Right. The, really, the, the offense is, the, you know, the last few, the last few years, um, you know, he was that when he had when he had Randy Moss. But the last few years, it's been a lot of short passes get the ball out quick. That's the way that they have run their offense. You know, they, in essence, almost haven't even needed a run game because that's what their pass game was. It was, um, you know, short short crosses and slants over the middle to, to Edelman. Um, you know, some, some out routes, uh, you know, swing passes and wheel routes to, to, you know, James White out of the backfield. And then every once in a while runs Sonny Michelle. As long as that is the formula they're going to use, um, and can and can keep a, an offensive line um, together enough to give to give uh, Brady even just you know four to five seconds of protection, that's all they need with how that offense was designed. So yeah, uh, Brady could play until he's forty-seven at that rate. Yeah, Ryan. When I think about the Patriots, I mean, I, I spoke about the narrative developing early on when they started you know, eight know that this could go down as one of the greatest teams of all time. But then when I look at their run game and the way that they played against the Ravens and just, I think we're going on now, it's almost 25 game sample size where Sony Michelle, you know, their first round pick from 2018 has just been uber unimpressive. I believe both seasons he's averaging under four yards a carry. I mean, what do you, from a fantasy perspective, you know, and what just watching him, what do you really see that, you know, kind of, has been a cause for concern early on in his career. Well, uh, with Sonny Michelle, he has dealt with some knee injuries. Um, he missed a little bit at the beginning of the season last year, uh, which was part of the reason why James White was a top 10 running back in PPR last year was because of how much opportunity he was getting, not just catch the ball, but just as a runner out of the backfield. Um, so Michelle has, has had to deal with some um, with some knee Soreness and injury over the last couple of years, um, even dating back to when he was in when he was in Georgia. Um, as of right now, you know he he was very good towards the end of the season last year, getting into the playoffs. He was he was uh, used heavily, especially in cold weather games. I think that's more of what's going to be happening going on in the second half of this season. But if you look, uh, just looking at the. Um, the overall schedule that the Patriots have had, they've had one of the easiest schedules of anyone, just because everyone they've played, the only real um, tests that that offense or defense has had to deal with so far this year were the Ravens who beat them, and Buffalo, the Bills in Buffalo in, one, I want to say, like week five or six. That's it. And they've, they've been playing you know, Miami, uh, the Jets, Twice, you know, so it's it's you know they've had a lot of teams that they've they've walked into just with bad records. Um, you know, playing the uh, uh, the Steelers who are not very good in the very beginning of the season, and the and the uh, the Browns who have been a major disappointment. So they've had a very easy, for the most part, a, a very easy schedule so far this uh, going into the year. Um, I think that as that as they move on, Michelle will get more of a 
All right, we got about seven minutes to go, so I want to touch on Emmanuel Sanders real quick, and then we'll talk about Kaepernick, okay? You say Emmanuel Sanders may still be able to play Sunday against uh, Arizona? So, yeah, so today, um, during practice uh, for the 49ers, uh, he was a, a, a quote-unquote limited participant. Really what he did is he, he showed up, uh, went out for warm-ups and everything, and then instead of going actually on the, the practice field, went to the weight room. He's been dealing with a rib injury that he suffered in the Seahawks game uh, on Monday night. Um, but uh, according to, to Kyle Shanahan, uh, he has basically said that Sanders does not need to be a full participant, participant in practice in order to be able to start uh, this weekend. So I think that there's been enough trust and rapport developed between Sanders and Garoppolo. And Sanders is... Is, is enough of a vet to be able to run the routes exactly how he needs to um, in order to be a productive receiver, even if he doesn't practice this week. So um, it, he'll, he'll come down to a game-time decision, but I wouldn't be surprised either way. Right now, for me, it's a 50-50 coin flip as to whether he plays. If he plays, I wouldn't be surprised. And if he does, I still think he is he's a wide receiver too in terms of his potential production. Well, he's a rejuvenated young man in San Francisco. We only got like five minutes to talk about this. Well, it should be easy, though. Eleven teams have committed to attending Colin Kaepernick's workout so far. I've actually went ahead and got the 11 teams. The, Card- the Arizona Cardinals, the Falcons, Cleveland Browns, Denver Broncos, Detroit Lions, Miami Dolphins, New England Patriots, New York Giants, Tampa Bay Bucks, Washington Redskins. You know, in the three or four minutes we have, who would, of any of these 11 teams, who do you think would be the most likely possibility that they would uh, decide to give Colin a, a shot? Probably uh, the Miami Dolphins. And the reason I say that is because um, they, they're they probably looking at, at drafting a quarterback. I don't think that they will stick with the Ryan Fitzpatrick um, project. Um, I think that they'll, I think that they may go on a full on uh, youth movement. But I think that bringing someone in like Colin Kaepernick could be a good bridge to a rookie um, if they don't necessarily want to bring in a rookie. Uh, one more name to actually add to that that's actually happened in the last hours. The Seahawks have also stated that they're going to be at that workout. Okay. Um, which for me, I think that Kaepernick would be a great, um, a great backup to Russell Wilson because I think that he provides enough similarity to Russell Wilson's game to be able to fill in that role as a backup. Okay. Yeah, I think they were once interested in him anyway, so that doesn't surprise me. All right, we got uh, two minutes to go. Lewis, of all those teams, uh, give me your best bet. So, you know, I don't know if you – did you list the Broncos as one of those teams that attended? Because, I mean, look, if Joe Flacco's injuries continue, that could be one thing. But the Redskins, I think, make a lot of sense for him because we don't know what we're going to get with Dwayne Haskins. And then Alex Smith, who I thought was – on a very sneaky Hall of Fame track as far as compiling numbers is concerned. He hasn't played in almost two seasons. Right. So I thought they I think they'd be a good fit for him because I genuinely don't think Haskins will work out. He's, you know, no touchdown four interceptions so far. He really hasn't looked good at the quarterback position. You know, if Kaepernick wants to start, you know, Washington would be the, the best bet, but it's a matter of whether or not they want to sign him. If I were gonna venture a guess and it's only exactly that, I would rule out the Tampa Bay box. No, and yeah, I mean, with the way that Winston has played, exactly. That's yeah, my point. I think that era is over over there after well, this season. Yeah, right. And you just said it after this season. I would rule out the Tampa Bay Bucks, but that would just be a guess for sure. The Miami Dolphins are intriguing, though. That group. So, 
Good stuff. So anything else you want to add, Ryan? No, I think that's about it for this week. All right. Well, guess what? We'll do it again next week. Meanwhile, enjoy the games and hope everybody can uh, win a little something and learn a little something from Mr. Skullroot. So, all right, Ryan, you have, you have yourself a great weekend, and uh, we will uh, do this bad boy again on Tuesday. Take care, buddy. Appreciate you. All right. Sounds good. Talk to you guys later. You bet. Good night. See ya. So I wanted to add on to your Seahawks point a little bit because sure. I, you know, it's funny that actually be, um, what was that, Super Bowl 47 that was, 2013? Right. That'd be an interesting, you know, kind of game there. The only thing, or not Super Bowl 48, I'm sorry. But I think what we saw with Kaepernick those last three years, and I have the numbers memorized because I did a, I'm working on a piece that you'll find on the South Florida Tribune in the coming days okay. on Kaepernick, is that those last three seasons, he was 11-24 and 24 as a starter. He drew 117 sacks. I think defenses woke up to this Wildcat offense that Harbaugh was running out there in San Francisco with him because obviously that's how Kaepernick made his name. We saw those playoff games. Right. You know, but the way that Wilson has evolved, you know, obviously Wilson is a miniature Aaron Rodgers, and I mean that size-wise because he possesses the ability to be an elite passer. He obviously can go downfield and he can, you know, go up the middle pretty well with the play action. And, you know, he can, you know, dip and dunk with the screens. But I think Kaepernick, if he wants anybody to learn from at this point, you're not going to back up Aaron Rodgers. That's just not going to happen. That's, That's Aaron Rodgers' team for the next couple of years. And you, you know, like Wilson, both you know both quarterbacks just got extensions. But I think Kaepernick, um, Wilson has the best balance of pass and throw. You know, on the other side of Patrick Mahomes, to be that Kaepernick can really kind of learn and see that the NFL trends more with quarterbacks who rely more on the passing game. Obviously, we see it with Breeze and Brady, and we saw it for a long time with Peyton Manning. But I think if you really want a balance of the two. And obviously, Michael Vick faltered because of it later in his career. You know, Seattle makes sense, but if he wants to start, Washington's another place, and Dan Snyder is no stranger to making those moves. Right. So, Good point. You know, it really wouldn't surprise me, but I, I kind of want to see him play again. I think it's a little delayed that the league is actually giving him his chance now after, what, three years and a collusion filing that he did you know, right, at the end right, of 2019. Right, so, right. You know, we'll see what happens. I don't, personally, I'd be shell shocked if he starts again. He's 32, and we know speed doesn't age well, regardless of what sport you play. So, it'll be interesting to see, though. You know, your thoughts? Yeah, well, my thoughts are, you know, he has to just go to a system which, you know, the system's already in place. So you have a guy where you don't change a system to accommodate another guy. Mm -hmm. Now, is it one of those 12 teams? I don't know. I actually thought he would be a suitable backup for Russell Wilson. I'll give you that in Seattle, and Ryan would like that. So any of those 12 destinations I think could be pretty good. So, yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm just going to – I'll tell you what. I'm going to take the fifth. And you know why I'm going to take the fifth? I want to see what you got to say for the trip. Yeah. Fair enough? Yeah, no, I'm going to write that story. It should be out by Saturday. But, um, no, with as far as Emmanuel Sanders goes, because Ryan briefly touched on that, right. you know, if he's not healthy, and I know he's just a wide receiver on that roster, they're in trouble. Because, obviously, we've right. seen, and winners talked about that before, he's a quarterback that's young. This, right. is, Gar- this is really Garoppolo's first real season full-time as a quarterback because he right. tore his ACL early on last year after he got that extension to start the year. But, you know, you have Matt Bribas out. He's not playing this weekend. And I understand they're 8-1. and one, and, You know, they're pretty much cruising right now. Nick Bosa's anchoring, you know, one of the best defenses in the league, probably the best defense in the NFC. But if, you know, given Garoppolo's struggles and the fact that, you know, you may you don't have your best running back there and now one of your best receivers that you recently just acquired could possibly be out for an extended period of time, they're in trouble. Do I still think they're right. going to make the playoffs? Absolutely. I mean, it takes 9-10 to 10 wins, and they're, you know, they're 20%, you know, 20% left right. to go before they get there. But, you know, I'd really like to see, you know, Sanders healthy. One, because he's on my fantasy team. So, come on, let's go. Well, I'll tell you what. I had Sanders during my 
the only week I could have had them because I, I had buys. And I still managed to make out all right. But, yeah, I can see why you have a vested interest yeah. in there. But he, he was a one-week uh, addition and subtraction, not because he got hurt, because I had a lot of depth at that position. Yeah, I know. And then, you know, at the same time, I mean, realistically, like, if I'm thinking of a Super Bowl scenario right now, the, the Seahawks are probably the best team in the NFC. In my opinion, I think it's just a formality that New England could be there, though they have to go through the Ravens first. But someone did raise a good point to me the other day. And he said this to me. This guy, you know, I won't name names, but, you know, he's not anybody in the industry. Longtime Patriots fan. And he said the best thing for Belichick to do is to lose an opponent to the first in the first time they play him in the regular season. And if they're to meet again in the playoffs, you know Bill Belichick's not going to play the same team the same way twice, right. right? That's true. So I think they'll be ready. I think the biggest thing that New England has to do, say the AFC Championship game does feature Baltimore and New England, you need to not this, – this whole um, – you know, no huddle offense that they ran when they were averaging 22 seconds in between, you know, um, plays on, mm-hmm. on, their, on their possessions was ridiculous. If you could take the ball to Lamar, Jack- Lamar Jackson's hands any way you possibly can, if that's chewing up the clock and, you know, employing more of the run game, getting Sony Michelle more involved and, you know, hoping a guy like Rex Burkhead's healthy to do both things for you, then you do that. Because I think right. the less time of possession that they have, it's the same thing with Jacoby Brissett, though he's not as elite of a quarterback. You know, he's more of a runner in the same way that Lamar is obviously to a lesser extent, then you're gonna they're going to have less time to make an impact on offense. And if they do that, I think they're in better shape to win moving forward. No complaints, man. i got to save my voice for the whole thing. So if you want to talk fast with energy, do it. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, you know, that's all I could say for now. But you know. Well, that's all you're going to say because David Levin's going to help you out a little bit. Hey, David, welcome back to the big show. What's going up in northern Florida, Jack Saxonville? All right, how are you doing, man? Yeah, David. What's going on? Oh, is it? Yeah, it's not so bad down here. So we need to do a little bit of mop-up duty, okay? Okay, the mop-up duty, okay, is uh, let's talk about the record out of the bye week and go over some other things until we add some new hate equation. Well, 4-5, not terribly bad. I mean, say they haven't done that badly without Jalen. I didn't know really what to expect there, Dave, without Jalen Ramsey, that's for sure, but I give you that. If you look at statistics since the trade, the uh, I guess the overall performance of our secondary has played much better than the Rams secondary, so win Jaguars. And I know that uh, Trey Herndon has played much better uh, over the last three weeks than Ramsey has. Ramsey's gotten torched on So, David, I wanted to read you a quote that I'm sure you were around to hear. It came from Leonard Fournette. I guess this was in practice today. And he was kind of talking about where he currently sees his team at from an ideological and a, and a holistic perspective. And, I, and I'm going to read excerpts of it. Obviously, it was a very long and extended statement, so I'm not going to sit here and read every word. But he said this, We know what's at stake, what's important now. As a team, everybody's bond is greater than since my three years here. We're not as talented as we were in the last two years, but this year is still closer. The bond we've created with each other. 
Now, do you think something like that is going to be something that's going to energize him? I understand this game against Indianapolis isn't going to be as, you know, it's going to the storyline primarily is Foles' return, as we all know. But, you know, they're also going up against Brian Hoyer because I don't believe Brissett's going to be able to play unless there's, you know, in co- you know upcoming developments in the next two to three days. But do you think something like can this I, could be something that can could... I, I, can I correct you? Can I correct on that real quick? Sure. He practiced in full yesterday. Oh, okay, cool. And he practiced full today. So he's still playing. Oh, all right. So this game's going to be a lot more interesting. Now, on Fournette's quote, do you think this is going to be something that may light a fire under their butts now that they got their main guy back at the uh, field general position? I can tell you seeing the locker room, seeing the videos, seeing everybody's animation, if you will, it's a much more excited locker room. And everything that Fournette said is correct. Foles gave a, a wonderful speech yesterday about how football is great, he's got another purpose in life, and how he talks to the players and tells them that football is great, but there's other meaning that goes on with life and everyday activity. He encouraged players to go spend time with their families on a week off, to get away from football, to put it out of their mind to come back renewed. This locker room is excited about the fact they got their, their general pack. They're also excited that Fournette's taking a more active role in the locker room, which is a great thing to see. Okay, let's talk about players step up. Which ones players have to step up? For, do you want offense or defense? Or well, just you want me to go, go down the line? No, just give me everybody. Anybody else? Marone needs to, and we discussed this too, Marone has to do a better job of making sure that everybody that's back has to play with continuity. They have to play above and beyond what they've been doing. I know I'm giving you cliches here, but that's all right. it's true. The, the focus, is, as Lewis said, it's, it's on souls. Can he come in and perform like they expect him to? You know, it's November, it's December, it's playoff time, it's St. It's Nick. The worst thing that can happen is he comes in and lays an egg in Indianapolis, and then we go, oh, gosh, what do we do now? So he does need to come out of the gate and just start firing away. Okay. All right. Division, you got four, te- four teams, two games, wide open. Best division in football. I think that we had discussed this, you and me, at the beginning of the season, that 
kind of had scrum amongst us at the desk. Yeah, I thought the AFC South was going to be the best division in football. And for right now, it is. There is continuity. There is four teams who run the ball very well. They have decent defenses. They're not all on the same level. Speedy wide receivers and solid quarterback play. You can even make that argument that in Tennessee, it's now solid quarterback play because Tannehill is playing much better than I think people expected him to. To the point where I read down in your neck of the woods where somebody asked, where was this when he was in Miami? Because he's, he's playing at a better level. It's a it's a prime division. I wouldn't be surprised if nine and seven won the division, and that would that would probably eliminate a play uh, another playoff spot, which means only one team is coming out of our division. Let's just hope it's the Jaguars. I hope so. I'd like to be able to cover a playoff game before I go to L.A. <laughs> if they, yeah, especially if they host it. I don't know. And division winners generally do. I don't know. It'll be pretty interesting. I know I'll get a lot of frequent flyer miles in January. The, the, the Jaguars-Buffalo Bills game from two years ago was the first playoff game I have covered. Was and that it? was as electric a situation that I've ever been involved in. That was some pretty cool stuff. I was at that game. Just didn't know you. Who knows what part of the press box you were in. Well, we're neighbors now. We're neighbors, so that's okay. Oh yeah, <laughs> I was actually at that game. I had a chance to, at that time, talk to Mike Mayock and a lot of different people around there. It was pretty neat. And the fact that Jags won didn't hurt matters any either. So, now let's talk about them for a moment. You say that this is the healthiest that the Jaguars have been all year since the beginning of the year. Right. It looks like everybody that is that is that's eligible to play is not playing. Today, some players were held out or were limited, but I think that was more of a precautionary thing. You know, veterans who um, they're not putting them through the paces. DBs practiced, all the linebackers practiced. Jake Ryan was back on the field. Foles was slinging it. It's it's a complete football team, Scott. It's 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 where it should have been from the beginning. How about that? Not. David, um, I, I mean, we understand that Minch is obviously not starting right now. Has Marone come out and said, and what have you seen in practice about what he's really been doing now that his role is diminished given the return of Foles? It's odd you say that. Today there was a video that was released on Twitter from one of the local um, television stations or media people. You know, he said that he wasn't pleased with Minshew. Minshew wasn't, sorry, you know, he wanted to still play. He understood it. You know, he was. It, it, it did bother him, but he's taking the stance that hey, I got to play eight games in the NFL as a rookie. Not many rookies get to do that. I get to learn from a, a great teacher and the offensive coordinator. And Foles has been a great mentor to him. And now he's going to turn around and help Foles prepare for games and understand that he's still one play away from getting back in that game. Okay, look, David, you talk about three players to watch on Sunday. Who are they? Foles, for sure. We've got to see how he does. I'm going to suspect, after listening to John DiFilippo today, I didn't, get, I didn't get to see that press conference, but I got the transcript and I got to see it, that they're going to go back to the same kind of offense that they had before where it was installed for Foles in the, in the preseason, where he's going to use going to use his running backs out of the backfield. He's going to look for short and intermediate passes to set up the, the plays downfield. And he's going, to, he's going to rely on 
Fournette as much as possible. The other guy that I want to see step up is probably Will Richardson on the left side. I think he's a better guard than AJ Can. I like Can, but he's also small. He's the smallest guy on, on the offensive line. And when Richardson comes in, he's kind of more of a mauler, and they may need that, especially if they can find a running lane on the right side that's not on the outside or on the tackle. So I'm looking for better offensive line play. And since the wide receivers for Indianapolis are banged up, I'm going to say that the linebackers are going to have to play better because I thought the tight end is used more in the offense. Where there's going to be maybe more passes to the sidelines and underneath by Brissett and the uh, Colts. So the linebackers will be um, will move more in traffic. All right, let's talk about T.J. Chark and Nick Foles. What kind of a connection do you think they're going to make? I think it could be good, but I will say this. I think that if there was a person that, I don't want to say hurt, if there was a person that may see his production drop off, it might be Chark. Okay. Because Chark and Minshew had such great chemistry. Right. You know, there was, he was his guy. But if you watched practice, even from the beginning at OTAs, there is a connection between Conley and... And uh, Foles, the two can't, you can't describe. I know they played together in Kansas City. They're really good friends. Foles was instrumental in saying to him once he signed his contract, hey, why don't you come play in Jacksonville? They they're, they have a possibility to light it up. And remember, Conley's one of those guys that has under 4-4 speed, and he's a, he's a burner, and he's also 6-3, and he's a big guy. Watch for him to have a lot of success. I don't think that DJ Chark's going to tail off too much, but I do think that you're going to see more targets still Conley's way. Okay, fair. All right, so how are the Jaguars going to make the playoffs? Prayer? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Prayer will be involved, and I will tell you that. There's three games behind the Texans because of the they lost twice, but then the Texans have the tiebreaker, so if for some miracle they finish with the same record, the Texans still get in. Teams like Oakland and San Diego, Los Angeles, sorry, the Chargers. Yeah, okay. You got me, Scott. You got me. <laughs> the okay. Chargers are going to have to slip up somewhere. Nobody ever gets Winning it right. Both games, I, I know. Winning <laughs> both games against Indianapolis is crucial. And the teams inside the division just have to beat up on each other. they gotta be. They got to yeah. beat Tennessee next week, too. They've got to win at least five games of the remaining seven right. to have a shot. And you also have to pray that, remember I told you I thought Buffalo was a lock. Yeah. But in going back and doing some research, I may hedge that. And you can quote me on it. Oh, <laughs> well, I, I am. I am. You're on tape. That's the word quoting you. I know. I'm on tape. It's okay. There's, this has a feel of 96, like I said before, where things just fell into place. The quarterback play is better. I would... I don't think there's any dis- disagreement here that I personally think the Foles is a better quarterback than Mark Murnau, and I love Mark's death, but Foles is a better quarterback as far as his arm strength and his ability. Um, the running game is strong. The defense is, is better than advertised. This has the makings of, a, of a, another 1996 in my mind. Okay. So the floor is yours. What else you got for me?
as far as the opponents that the Jaguars will play. These games for the next three home games really matter. So fan support is crucial. Mm -hmm. And we've been in the stands where, let's just say that there are probably more empty seats than there are people there. So I'm hoping that with the, and and remember that's energy with Minshew there and the shirt sales and the mustaches and everything, they weren't selling out. So I'm hoping that Foles re-energizes the community again. Mm-hmm. I know that's hard to say because Vinci Mania was amazing. Right. And they made but money we, off we of it. See, sorry, go ahead. And they made money off of it, too. They made lots of money off of it. <laughs> we need to see as many fans in the stands as possible. And I know that that's something that the front office and the you know, business side of the Jaguars want to see. The best thing that cures that is winning. Yeah. And there are two games that they, they should have beaten Houston on the road. And they should have been New Orleans at home. And had that happened, reversal of fortune, there are more people in the seats. Right. So I'm hoping that when they, if they win two road games back to back, and they come to play the Bucks, which is a home game, it's a rivalry game because it's in state. Right. I'm praying to the football gods they sell the place out. Well. They've got San Diego. Sorry, Los Angeles. Oh, you're doing this on purpose now. Levin, you're, you're, no, do, you're oh, really, come on. I really, you know what, when I, so when I say Chargers, I've got this image of Dan Stout selling to James Jefferson it's down the sideline. It's a good, it's, it's a good image, man. And don't forget Kellen Winslow while you're at it. Okay, by the way, I was at that game for the Dolphins in 81. With oh, Chris really? Right, yeah, but that's another story. But no, seriously, when I'm thinking Chargers, I'm thinking Dan Stout throwing the ball deep to three people. Oh, yeah, I think Wes Chandler was part of that, too, so that's why I do it. But anyway, that's all right. so we've got... They've got Tampa Bay on the 1st of December. They've got the Chargers on the 8th of December. And then they've got the last game of the season against the Colts, which may determine if there's a second playoff spot. So there's a lot of riding on this. We didn't see as many people in the stands. I know that it's Florida. I know it's December. I know people are going to say, it's time to get colder out. It's the holidays. You know, come on out. All right, so I have a question for you. Okay, I know that the collective bargaining agreement is close to actually being completed, and now they're talking about a 17th game, one neutral site game. So now, knowing that Jacksonville already gives up a game, there's two ways they they can go, and I don't know if you've heard anything yet, and I know we won't until it's all said and done. Do you think that Shad Khan would try to get the league into giving him a second game overseas, or does Jacksonville actually get eight home games? I've wondered about that. I don't know, and that's a great question to ask. I I know that I saw that there was a story about how the league is closer to playing 17 games. Right. What I think happens, and we kind of touched on this before, that the Jaguars would agree to play one home game at London and be the away team the following week for London, and that way the Jaguars acquire another home game. Hmm. Interesting. We'll have to find that, that out. Makes sense. Yeah, but I don't know. I have to read the. I have to read on that. I'm not not too familiar with the way that the bargaining agreement goes with that. I just know that when Khan bought the team, he came to the league and said, "Look, I'd like to take the team to London." And I'm not sure of all the particulars, but there was a deal that was worked out where the Jaguars will be there every year because Khan has business interests overseas and he right. can make he can make a profit for the team. So I'm pretty sure that 
that's going to work in somewhere, right? You would think, right? I would. I'm, I'm, not, a biz, I'm, a, I'm not a businessman. I'm a writer. So I'll leave that to you guys. You're a lot smarter than I am. Oh, don't push it. But you know what? Here's the thing. Okay, when I come up there in a couple of weeks, then now you and I yeah. can both team up on this and see if we can uh, get some information beyond just ourselves. You never know what kind of stuff we'll bring on the program. So you and I will do a little bit of double teaming on that one. Maybe it's something that I do a little bit of research on and I come back to you on Tuesday and we talk a little bit about it. And there you go. Examine it later. Why don't you do that? Okay. Gives you a homework be, assignment. Got, yeah, that's great. I, 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 failed, I failed history and I, I failed uh, shorthand too. But I think that there's got to be an agreement somewhere in collective bargaining or with TV revenue because that's all going to factor into it. Right. That if they decided to expand the season because I believe the original agreement was is that they had to expand it by two, not one. So if they expand the season by one, what is the provision for moving games overseas and what is also the provision for television revenue because they don't profit as much. So maybe I'll take a look at that for you. Okay, that'd be good. It'll give you something to think about. But you know, Anything else you want to talk about with the... Uh Colts. I know that I don't think Brissett's going to be playing. Is that correct? That doesn't appear to be that way. Well, he said he was practicing, I believe, today. No, Brissett's practiced. Oh, is he active? Okay, just so I wasn't sure. He's so. active. Here's what I, here's what I, I, I want to say, and I'll, I'll go back to Foles, because sure. he is, when we heard the speech, and you know, he was talking about how great it was to come back, and he was excited, and was talking about how when he got hit, he knew he broke it. Right. And start talking about the fact that it's football and it's great, but he, he had other things that go on in his life, his family, his religion, his faith, his ministry, and whatnot. I heard a leader. I heard a genuine leader from the quarterback position. And no disrespect to Gardner and no disrespect to Blake and no disrespect to anybody else who has been in that room. You finally heard somebody who was taking the team and putting them on his shoulders and saying, I'm going to lead you. Come follow me. The first thing he did when he signed the contract was he called Calais Campbell. Or Calais called him, and, I, and Calais told me this and some of the other members of the media when he was talking. They had a long discussion about how, the direction of this team. And then he talked to Leonard Fournette, and I believe he did talk to Jalen in the meantime, and he talked to other key people. And what he did was he set himself up to make sure that people understood that they're going to win and lose by him. When can you say that anybody in the quarterback position Remember, there's been Gabbert and Bortles and David Garrard and Mark Brunel and Rob Johnson and whoever else you can throw in there, Chad Henney. Right. Have you ever heard a quarterback do that? Only when you got a quarterback that's won the Super Bowl, pal. And made a Pro Bowl. Well, that's that. true. I, yeah. I'm just, you're asking me a question. I'm giving you an answer. Won a Super Bowl, and he did it in good, convincing fashion. He beat Tom Brady, for God's sakes. If that isn't yeah, confidence, then tell me what the word is. You're, heck, you're the one who knows what the word confidence is, Lewis. They didn't even punt in that game. I mean, it was <laughs> like 53 I mean. to 45. Yeah. I mean, right. anybody, anybody that can go out there and win a Super Bowl and beat Tom Brady. Yeah. Him and Eli Manning are yeah. table for two. Yeah, yeah there right. you go. So. Pretty much, yes. The only thing I'm praying to the football god is that you know he's not mobile and that the offensive line plays the best game of his Right. Because, you know, that's the only thing that worries me. I would argue that's, o- it, guys. that's okay, though. I'm sorry, go ahead. 
No, uh, yeah, the closing point, I would argue that's okay, though. I think, I mean, you have a less chance of him getting hurt. Yeah, he did tear his clavicle uh, on a pass play, but, you know, you have a better chance of him, you know, keeping the ball in his hands or, or at least staying healthy than you do this, you know, someone like Minshew who can run around a little bit more. Obviously, Minshew didn't get hurt, but, you know, I think longevity is one thing that they're focused on here, and even though Foles was already hurt earlier in the season, you know, I'd rather somebody with an elite pat, you know, throwing arm manning yeah. a ship for me than somebody like Kyler Murray who's just going to scramble most of the time. Though he's shown himself well, up I agree with you. to be an adept passer. I do agree with you on that one. But you know what's something? Right. It'll definitely be interesting to talk about on Tuesday because, you know, that narrative will begin to further develop, you know, depending on what how he does against Brissett and whether Brissett employs Eric Ebron, you know, you know, we're talking about a four and six team or a five hundred team, so we don't know. Well, not only that, what I'll say about the whole thing when we talk about it is we all know that Minshew was able to move around more mobile. Now you have the vertical passing game, so you have two quarterbacks that are totally different style-wise. So when you put it all in perspective, we're going to find out which one's more effective on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Okay, real quick, guys, give me a score because we watched that last time. What do you got, Lewis? All right, so if I'm being overly pessimistic and – Look, I botched the. Uh, I was the only one to pick the Texans to win, but my score wasn't even close. So I'll deduct some uh, some smart points for that one. To, um, I'll say okay. that um, Foles comes out. He throws for three hundred yards, two touchdowns, and you know I think Brissett struggles a little bit because of the the MCL, and they win something like thirty four to thirteen. Really, okay. I, I I have a lot of confidence in Foles. I mean, I think he's going up against a good defense, but I think he has enough. You know, in that throwing arm, and you know, I think Fournette's going to have a big game. He'll score. You know, he'll double his touchdown total on the ground, and I think they'll win. You know, nice. sure-handedly. Well, I hope you're right. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, Scott, what you got? You know what? I got to go 22-16. I do. I don't know Jacksonville? why. Uh, yeah, Jacksonville. Yeah, I say 22-16 because I'm not sure what I'm getting out of Foles yet. Uh, so you know, three touchdowns. I'm being overly pessimistic. That's all right. Whatever. You have an <laughs> or opinion. Optimistic. I'm sorry. Well, you have an opinion. That's yeah. why you're giving it. Go ahead. I'm going. I'm going to. to um, I'm going to leap over Lewis. Foles comes out. Throws. Foles comes out. Throws 400 yards, three touchdowns. The defense gets six sacks. They win 24-7. Well, you and I are two points apart. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Are you? I'm saying, the de- I'm saying the defense really steps up. So, yeah, I'm gonna say 24-7. I'm actually surprised the defense is as good as it is, despite all the hype that's around Jalen Ramsey. I think that's the thing that just boggles me. You keeping uh, score here, pal, or what? You writing this stuff down? Yeah, you got you got twenty-two sixteen. He's twenty. Oh, write it down. Twenty-six seven, and then I'm tw- thirty-four oh, yeah. to thirteen. He, this kid's not afraid to write. He does it all the time. Hold on. Uh, before you get off the line, he's going to be uh, grading us on Tuesday. So, here, write it down. Who's got what? I got I got everyone down. All right. Does he? All right. Well, we're going to find that out. So, I'll be very curious to see what happens out there on Sunday, 22-16, and you say 24-7. And Boy Wonder here has a lot more points than any of us. But either way, all I care is that Fournette gets a lot of yards. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, Fournette. And you know what, Dave? I will say this before you get off the line. I'm glad that Leonard Fournette is taking ownership of the team. I know there were some issues with him last year. 
but now it's it's about time that the veteran part comes out of the guy. And one thing I should uh, say before we get off the line is I'm sure he had to be gleaming after LSU beat Alabama. Oh, I know he was. <laughs> you do? Uh, okay. I, I'm pretty sure that he gave Cam Robinson an earful right after the game. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm leaving it on a laugh. That was good. All right, you just be ready to uh, – I like leaving uh, segments on a laugh, and that's what we're going to do. So, all right, uh, you and I will be in touch over the weekend on Monday, and we'll see what you got Definitely. come Tuesday night. Have a good weekend. Go Guys, Jaguars. Enjoy okay. Enjoy your weekend. All right. I'll Bye. do that. Thanks. Bye, David. Bye. So, all right, go ahead. Talk, boy wonder. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm again. I was being overly optimistic. You know, I think the the only thing that prevents me from possibly being right as far as how many points they're going to score is the fact that we, I'll refer back to the Kansas City game. I believe it was Week Three when they when uh, Brissett upset Mahomes and they beat them. I believe they had possession in that game for 37 of the 60 minutes on the time clock. And the biggest thing with them is obviously the fact that he doesn't throw often. So you know, given that they're doing a lot of plays on the ground. You're going to chew up a lot of time, so I don't know if Foles going to have enough time to do that. But given that he has the propensity to break off for a deep pass, it, it wouldn't shock me if it, if it gets ugly. But, you know, I'm hoping for – I'm rooting for Jacksonville in the AFC South, so – or East. Okay. Yeah. Well, and bear in mind, though, when you talk about that, the Colts had a good blueprint watching the Lions pretty much contain the Chiefs. If it wasn't for a late-minute defensive collapse of the Lions, Detroit wins that football game. Mm -hmm. And the Colts were smart enough to look at enough film since its result favored them after that. So good points up by all of you guys. Yeah. I'm interested, you know, do you have an idea when that CBA is supposed to be renewed? When's the well, I, I think what they're – yeah, I think that they're – it would have expired at the end of 2021, but – my gut feeling is that the owners and players are trying to get the changes in place so they get, the 17th game goes into effect in 2020. Mm -hmm. I don't know how a lot of teams would feel about get, um because it, obviously that's going to be like uh, some teams are going to have nine home games it would be. No, no. No, we'll, no what they're going to do is fin finesse it to a point where there has to be a neutral site game for everybody. So there'll be eight home games. It's just a matter of how the schedule make where it's working out. And here's what I'm going to say this before night comes on the program. I call this a Green Bay Packers rule. The only way that you're going to get them to go overseas is by having that oddball game because they're not giving up a game no, at Lambeau Field. absolutely not. Cheeseheads are going to be in effect wherever they go, though. Yeah, but on the other side of the occasion, a lot of times what will happen is a lot of teams don't want to see the Packers give up that game because the Cheeseheads travel really well. So that's how I believe it's going to work out. I call it the Cheeseheads rule. I'm going to relate this... Um this comment's got a little bit back to music, the, the idea of expanded games. You ever listen to the Pink Floyd album, Dark Side of the Moon? One of the beautiful things about Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon is that every track segs into one another, and the subject about this game expansion is going to seg exactly into what we're going to talk about with Damon. And it's something we briefly touched on on Tuesday. So, you know, stay tuned for that, fans. We, you know, obviously, we for the last couple of minutes, we've talked a little bit about game expansion. So... I think when we're going to talk what we're going to talk, you'll see the correlation there. It may not seem obvious right now because the subject hasn't been discussed, but if you listen to our Tuesday show, which you can find on Spreaker, Spotify, and the iTunes Podcasting Network, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. But there's a lot of um, overlap with these topics for sure. Okay. I'll, I'll take your word for it. Good stuff. All right. Meanwhile, we have an update in the National Football League. 
Cleveland Browns currently lead the Pittsburgh Steelers seven to nothing. Seven forty left to go in the first quarter. So I think you can agree that, and you and I can agree that Mike Tomlin's just you know monitoring Ben Roethlisberger day by day, week by week. It, look, Mason Rudolph's done a pretty good job for them. You know he's that he's won a couple of games for him. I mean they're well, I believe what they're a game over five hundred, so they're a lot better than everybody expected them to be. As much as you and I are never going to get it right about the manager of the year, okay, because that's a tough call depending on what's what. So we won't go there. We we probably will agree on the fact that Mike Tomlin, with the job that he's done, starting out one and four to five and four, would certainly be a strong candidate with all the pieces that he's lost between Bell, Antonio Bryant, and Roethlisberger. That would have a uh, the the inside track to become coach of the year in the NFL. Yeah, and Mason Rudolph as a starter is five and two, so, right? Because so. Roethlisberger got hurt in that second game. Obviously, that first game in New England was an absolute, you know, bloodbath. It was the playoffs all over again, you know, fair catch or not a couple of years ago. But I don't know, man. I, I, you know, I think that's a sign of a great coach, though. I think Belichick did the same thing when Matt Castle went in for Tom Brady. Me too, man. What the hell's wrong with you? Yeah. Hanging around me a little longer? What the hell's wrong with you? I knew you? about that story because Brady got hurt the same way all that Foles right. did. Okay, that's what I need out of you, Weiss. Yeah, Hello. Well, you remember, I mean, obviously they went 11-5. and five. That's the only year since... Belichick's first season in New England, which was 2000, right. they went 5 and 11. They didn't make the playoffs. And that's still a pretty good season. 11, I mean, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, so. you call it the Super Bowl Blues, which I'll talk about a little bit when we talk about the Rams game with um, Bill Winters at 10 o'clock. But yeah, I mean, look, you give Mike Tomlin the you know, coach of the year right now. I think he's done a great job. You can give Marone coach of the year, too, if we're talking about. Well, talking we'll about see this about early. that. We'll I mean, see. look, he's, with what, what he did with a rookie quarterback, you know, he deserves a lot of credit. All right, well, meanwhile, for any of the people that heard the uh, Go Blue, yeah, this is a Michigan tune. Get ready for Michigan, Michigan State. Otherwise, we've got a guy who is from the Michigan area named Damon Knight. And, Damon, yes, yes. this is a... How's it going, Scoop? Uh, so, Damon? How much? Uh, let's so, go for it, buddy. Yeah, so um, I got some unfortunate news on November 11th, uh, Monday uh, morning. Uh, Charles Rogers, the former Lions, also Michigan State wide receiver, died of liver disease. Some think it's uh, cancer-related. Um, he was a three-time athlete at uh, Saginaw High School. He played basketball, football, and track. And he won a state championship in both track and football. He then uh, uh, signed a letter of intent to Michigan State where he broke a Spartan record of uh, 27 career touchdowns. He also broke an NCCAA record with 13 consecutive games with a TD catch. He won the uh, Bile Tikhanov uh, Award for Best Receiver in the Country, and he was uh, taken uh, second overall by the Lions. Um, he had a history of drug problems uh, with him, uh, while with them, and he only uh, caught uh, 440 yards receiving. Uh, he played 15 games and started nine of those, only had four career touchdowns, and so... You know, he, uh, he had a lot of talent, and he just unfortunately had drug problems and a lot of just mental um, lapses in his career, and he wasn't, you know, getting the help that he needed. So it's very unfortunate. All right, Damon. So we briefly talked about this on yes. Tuesday, obviously. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I just posed this to Scott because we were talking to Jaguars insider yeah. David Levin about, you know, the possibility with yeah. the new CBA of a game of um, possible expansion to 17 yeah. or even 18 games. Now, 
You know, I said this. I'm yeah. like, you ever listen to Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon? I feel like all of us have. It's yes. an album. Yeah. An al- yes. One of the beautiful things about that album is the yeah. fact that a multitude of tracks segue into each other. Obviously, yeah. a lot of similar sounds that you hear, and yeah. a song will echo into another. The conversation we had with Levin at the end is yeah. kind of like this because th- I feel like, and this is just my opinion. When you hear about athlete, yeah. former NFL players dying young due to issues stemming and which I believe yeah. from their career on the gridiron, it's gonna make this. It's gonna throw a, cast a dark cloud over this discussion of possible game expansion. It, yeah. Look, if they're gonna add 18 games to the schedule, you know, and it's gonna you know expand yeah. two games, you're gonna have to think about the incentives that you're gonna have to give players off the field. Obviously, yes. I mentioned Terry Bradshaw and all the hits that he took. You know. You know, and his struggles yeah. with anxiety and depression, his long time, you know, taking of the antidepressant Paxil and just the effects that, you know, playing football had on him and, yeah. you know, how the league has had problems with, you know, ensuring the fact that these players need to have a life after they play. You know, Larry Fitzgerald yeah. may be an exception to that rule. But don't you think that seeing a player whose you know, addiction to painkillers may have stemmed from all the brutal hits that he took onto the f- on the field, don't you think that, yeah. you know... It really doesn't help us progress when we discuss get possible season expansion. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. You know, they need something to, to ease the pain. It's, it eventually gets overwhelming, and so you get addicted to it, and then, you know, it just stems from another drug problem to another. And so um, it's like, you know, taking heroin for the first time. I've never done it, you know. <laughs> yeah, you're not Kurt Cobain. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it just... Um, you know, if, if one person's saying, oh, you really get addicted after you try it, and another person says it, you got to tend to believe them. And so um, it's unfortunate. And to expand the season, I just think you're risking the players' health further along, not only in their career, but later in life as well. You know, like some athletes like uh, Thomas Holmstrom, I heard an interview of him saying he can barely get out of bed. Wow. You know, and I, yeah, and so well, he took I a beating. In, like yeah, he took a beating in front of the net like anybody yeah. I've ever seen. I'm glad I you brought that up. Oh yeah, yeah. he, he sacrificed his body. That's for sure. So let's yeah. go on to Rogers for a moment, okay? Yeah. And that's it. You're right. I mean, a very abbreviated career. Unfortunately, he's labeled a bust uh, by yes. NFL standards. Number two pick overall. The Andre, yeah. jo- uh, I think Johnson ended up going third to the Texans. How did that work yes. out? Oh, you know, a local kid, Mary Uchi's first Paul pick. Yep. But the one thing I noticed that the Lions are doing is they're honoring Charles Rogers on Sunday. Yep. Is that correct? So tell me a little bit about that. Honoring him. Yeah, and, you know, it's – yeah, he's a boss, but you got to remember he's part of your family, and to right. honor him is the right thing to do. You know, it would be a disgrace if they didn't. You know, a player's, a player's performance on the field doesn't – define their character and who they are as a person they had you know when he was at michigan state he had multiple teammates saying how how courteous he was he wasn't letting the spotlight you know dictate his personality towards towards his teammates you know there's no i in team and he carried that on and off the field uh unfortunately he got a hold of drugs and so it, it, it defined his professional career and so but it's awesome to see that um for the lions to that sunday you know so, all right. So we'll talk about the Lions, Cowboys. You're obviously in back yeah. home. Uh, give me a prediction. I know. I know Stafford hasn't been cleared to play. Jeff Driscoll. Yes. So you know, let's, what are they thinking? What kind of a game do they expect back home? 
Uh, they're going to expect a really, really, really tough game. You're playing a really good team. Um, as you know, our defense struggles against the run, and they have one of the best running backs in the league, and Ezekiel Elliott. And I respect the guy's talent. And so you got Dak Prescott, who's starting to really come into his own. He had a little bit of a setback this year, but I think he's going to really get it going. He's not like Baker Mayfield right now, where he's just struggling to find the end zone. Right. So, you know, I expect it to be really, really hard, uh, tough-fought game. Um, I don't expect the Lions to win this one. I don't mean to be negative, but I just, I'm just i seeing reality. And what I'm seeing from the Lions, they're not going to be enough for this team. This team's going to steamroll over them. So I'm, I'm expecting to lose by like at least three touchdowns. Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's okay. Well, that's fine. You're there. Obviously, you yes. uh, read a lot of the news clippings around there. You certainly get yeah. a glance for talk radio, and whatnot. So, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. Dallas wins by double digits. Uh, how much by double digits? I don't know. But yeah, yeah. Dak Prescott's heck of a quarterback. I think the X factor yeah. in this game, I believe, is Amari Cooper should eat the yes. Lions secondary up alive. I don't know how effective. Kenny Galladay yeah. is going to be with Driscoll at quarterback, although he did yes. squeak out some yards at the very end of the Bears game, but I, oh, yeah. I don't know. But I don't know. There's a lot of things that I saw that like, I don't see out of Stafford. Like, you know, you'll get Stafford's downfield accuracy. He's not that accurate, in my opinion. You know, um, just from listening to fans, to listening to even my parents say, hey, like, you know, this guy just overthrows his receivers time and time again. Right. And so, and I'm seeing it, and you'll get Driscoll, and you're just like, dude, like, why can't Stafford do that? You know, like why can't he be that aggressive? Why can't he drive the ball, drive the ball down the field with confidence? Yeah, but I love Stafford. I'll tell you right now, of all the quarterbacks oh, I've yeah. had, uh, he's a gunslinger. I love his sidearm yes. uh, throws yeah. from time to time. He Matthew Stafford's a very heady, cagey quarterback that's done really well, and I yes. think that as uh, he, the more he sits out, the more Lions fans should really get behind the fact that uh, you realize how bad yes. you had it for a lot of years. This kid provides stability at arguably the most difficult position uh, on the field. Yes. So I love Matt Stafford. Nobody will oh, – yeah. anybody that takes oh. a shot at him, I'll defend him all day long. Go yes. ahead. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah and, I, and I'm sorry. I have to apologize. I do agree no, with I have you. to apologize. I, uh, it's Stafford, okay. Yeah. Stafford, uh, I'm, a, I'm a Detroit guy, and I, I'm, I'm going to support any Detroit athlete to the very end, you know. And yeah. so, you know, he's way better than Joey Harrington. You know, I mean, uh, Harrington is the same – you know, to probably upside is him coming in and just couldn't live up to it. And Stafford, I think he's he's lived up to it. It's just it's been a slow progression. You don't, know, don't ever don't ever apologize in here for making an opinion, buddy. That don't make deal. Yes. We don't accept yes. apologies, so we don't need. Go ahead, Lewis. I think the biggest. I think this game could be a lot closer if Elliott has another you know subpar game that he did last week. You know, right. if you yeah. follow Skip Bayless on Twitter, which I'm sure all of us do, you know he's an interesting yeah. follow. Bayless was decked yes. out in his Elliott gear, and then he, you know, goes Elliott's, you know, his caption or something on the lines yeah. of Elliott's going to go off. And what does Elliott do? 20 carries for, like, 47 yards. And yeah, it, he stirs the ball. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's the closest to the shirt thing at that position right now that we we have, but I think if the defense holds him and he has a, a repeat performance similar to last week, I think Detroit will be in it more. Again, you know, Driscoll's not Stafford, but at the same time, you know, they want him there anyway. And he's not a bad backup option to have. And and you know what, too? The Lions do play tough at home. So they, they're yes. they they're a very inspired football team. They draw pretty well at Ford Field. So, uh, you know, yes. again, double digits, yeah. But, you know, I've seen a lot of crazy situations in the Lions-Dallas series. In fact, many, before we let you off the line, yes. I once saw a game that went into overtime and the Lions won it in T Texas Stadium. 
when Barry Sanders was playing. So it was one of the best football games I've ever seen. So I don't know yeah, if I, anything duplicates this. Um, you know, I look at the, uh, the the playoff game that we played against them a couple of years ago, uh, that pass interference supposedly at Des Bryant right. as he was going down, and that cost us the win. And so, you know, yeah, it's definitely a rival. And I remember Des Bryant calling out Calvin Johnson saying, basically, you're old. And Calvin Johnson destroyed him in that game. And so, you know, yeah, there's definitely a rival there. You know, and so I, I I want the Lions to win. I don't expect them to win. I mean, I don't think any of us did or do. You know what I mean? Right. Um. So I just we'll see what happens on Sunday, and then hopefully it's not as bad as I think it's going to be. But you know, um, I don't expect much. Okay. Well, we'll find out. Meanwhile, thanks again yeah. for being on the program, and we'll see Thank what you, you cook up on Tuesday. Have a great weekend, yes. uh, Damon. As always, uh, great job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Lewis. Yep. Have a yeah, no problem, man. Yep. Keep it up. See you yep. later. Yep. Bye. Yep. So you saw the uh, transitory thing I was talking about, how our one subject with David Lennon. Uh, I'm starting with... to get you figured out, pal. Yeah, but um, no, I mean, look, okay. I don't know where Driscoll went to school. I don't know what kind of system he's coming out of in college. Well, Driscoll actually went to the University of Florida. I think, didn't he go to one of the Louisiana schools, too? Uh, okay, so, so he probably played alongside the likes of, I don't know how long he's been in the league, but. He's probably, Not very long, a couple he's of years. Probably played alongside the likes of Will Greer, who transferred a couple of Maybe, times. Maybe I don't know. If I but don't yeah, that. look, I don't know the severity of Stafford's injury, and All look, right. he's been he's been a an above average quarterback, though the team his record doesn't reflect it. I believe they're sixty nine, seventy nine, and one since he's taken over as a starter there. That's one of the uh, few football stats I have uh, lodged in my head at the moment. Well, but that's all right. You know, I look. He, you're right. He is the best thing that. You know, they've had that quarterback position for a while. You know, obviously, I don't know the history of that franchise, so I can't list off quarterbacks. All I know is that they were bad prior to him being drafted number one overall in 2009. And you know what? I think he learned that uh, sidearm that sidearm throw from his uh, friend down in Highland Park, Texas. As you know, he's good friends with Clayton Kershaw. So. Oh, I was waiting for that baseball yeah. reference. Not, not That's a, okay. Bad, uh, not a bad uh, friend to Very have, appropriate. No yeah. problem. I'm with you. Yeah. Very appropriate, look, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I think what he's really missing is, I mean, obviously Calvin Johnson, you know, only a nine-season career, but one of the most illustrious wide receiver careers that we've seen, you know, that side of, you know, um, Jerry Rice. And I'm not saying he's Jerry Rice, but I think what the point I'm trying to get to here is that I think if Stafford wants to have another elite season, and I believe the game he's talking about with Dallas came in 2014, which was one of Romo's best seasons. I, I mean, one of the you know times I thought he looked absolutely fantastic. But um, I think he needs – I mean, if they're going in the draft next year, you're going to have to do something, get another star wide receiver because Matthew Stafford and Calvin Johnson had a relationship kind of like Nick and Keith, if you know that reference I'm talking about. Uh, not really. For well, some music one, I probably don't. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, obviously the wide receiver is key to that offense. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. You know, give me a little bit on the offensive line real quick. How good are they moving forward? I don't know who – if anybody is a – you know, like – Locked up. Who do they got over there that's protecting Stafford and Driscoll right now? I don't know. So I mean, uh, that that that's a position that gets banged up a lot, yeah. so you never can tell. Yeah, they move in and out of bodies when you're in the trenches. Only you should find that out. Yeah. So, yeah, but that's well, okay. trust me, I don't. I'm not six six three nine two ninety, so I don't. Well, if you did, then you wouldn't be fitting in this studio no, as easy man. as you do. I would look like Andre the Giant sitting here, <laughs> yeah, right, hundred beers a night. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> that was good. I I don't know. I like look. 
I, their playoff hopes are gone. They're three six and one right now. Obviously, who the Lions? Yeah, Detroit. no three five and one. Oh, three five one. Don't okay. give them another loss yet. Yeah, maybe on Sunday you can. Yeah, look, I, Dallas. I mean, Dallas is a good team. They're playing the right football at the right time. I think Jason Garrett's pillow feels a lot softer nowadays because of all that speculation that's going on with him. But yeah, I look if if in your opinion, you know, obviously Jerry Jones has a lot of faith in his guys. I mean, we saw it when he brought in Greg Hardy after a domestic violence suspension. Yeah, I didn't understand that. Now the guy's fighting UFC down here in Coconut Creek. Is he really? Yeah, down in American Top Team right by me. I didn't know that. But okay. um, if you know if that, regardless of that, if Dallas doesn't advance to at least a you know a championship game and. And I'm blanking on whether they're in the NFC or the AFC. Oh, the NFC. What That's is okay. what is the status of Jason Garrett's job if they don't go to say that they don't? Well, go to Jerry's a loyal guy. I don't know, but does he get rid of him? Who knows? He's because he's been because you know Garrett's been there for a decade now. It seems yeah, like. nine, ten, seven yeah, years. And, so. But you know maybe he's starting to get a hold of that team again. Obviously, we saw early in the season that nobody was gravitating towards. Yeah, it's too hard to tell. that one's just too difficult to tell. Yeah. All I know is. Uh, if Jerry decides to keep him around, he decides to keep him around. It's just one of those situations. Yeah, so I guess while we have a couple of minutes while we wait for Mel, do you want to talk a little bit about what we have going on as far as, you know, what's going on in the Tribune, you know, our Twitter, other shows that we got going on? You want to plug them real well, quick? Well, no, I'll let you do it. Okay, so as you all know, we, me and Scott recently just started a uh, baseball program called 108 Stitches, Baseball Talk Around the Diamond. Obviously, you know, a lot of the talk so far has been primarily football, but you know, our, our show that we have, right now we're doing it about, oh, well, well, we'll, get, we'll, to it we'll get back to that in a minute. Right now we got Mel Farr on the line. All right. Hey, Mel, how you doing? Welcome to the Sports Exchange. It's All right. How are you doing? Good to have you back, buddy. So, uh, Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, anyways, let's talk about some predictions here, okay? I know... Uh, Last week, you and I had a spirited conversation about Minnesota versus Penn State. You thought the Lions were going to walk into Gopher territory. Didn't quite work out that way. Yeah, that game wasn't even close. I didn't see that one coming. I thought Penn State, I thought they were ready to take that next step, but obviously they're not. Uh, I hadn't seen, I hadn't watched Minnesota play all year, but they're a very good football team. They're yeah. A very good football team, well coached. Like we talked about, you know, we know what Fleck did when he was over. Uh, <laughs> At, at Western Michigan, we know how uh, you know what he did with that team. and took him to a Cotton Bowl, but he's got Minnesota playing well. Those guys, those guys look real good. That game wasn't even close. Yeah, that's true. I I did feel I had a feeling that Minnesota was going to do pretty well, and the reason why is because of the energy that PJ Fleck has brought in to uh, Minneapolis. You know, at, with a great tenure at Western Michigan, and now adding a seven-year contract to it. You know, it, uh, Minnesota. Few people realize they've won three national championships in the program's history. And, you know, the Gophers are for real. People better start paying attention to them. So I don't want to sit here and tell you I told you so, but I told you so. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. Yes, you did. You got me there. That's all right. Well, I got you on another one, too, but that's all right. You'll have a chance to get me next week. But LSU against Alabama. Ed Orgeron, obviously, the biggest one he's ever had. Uh, in Baton Rouge, let alone as a college coach. I'll tell you, they love him out in Baton Rouge, don't they? But I, I was glad that LSU got the win over Alabama. Yeah, I mean, I like, I'm a Nick Saban guy. I like, I like Coach Saban. And, but I said I felt I felt a little funny about the pick, but I went ahead and went with Coach Saban. But I, I, it doesn't surprise me that LSU won. Yeah. <clears throat> LSU is a very good football team. Yeah, they are. They're very, I mean, they're a very talented football team. 
And really, they, they, they whipped Alabama. They made Alabama look bad. I mean, Alabama had some turnovers, and that doesn't help. You can't turn the football over. You can't make mistakes when you're playing against a team as talented as LSU. And their quarterback is just playing lights out. I mean, he made some big plays when he, when they needed it, when, it, when the team needed it. And uh, that's why they came out on top. All right. Well, we talked about last week, so we're going to give you seven games to pick with the uh, seven minutes that you have. All right. Or actually, probably eight. Well, till nine twenty. So here we go. Michigan State against Michigan. Uh, our our in-state rival back home. Michigan goes into the game fifteenth in the country. Is this Mark D'Antonio's final game in this rivalry? Who do you pick? First of all, I need your prediction. Uh, you know, I'm not a Michigan guy. I don't. I, I like Harbaugh though. I, I love. I, I'm a I'm a state guy. But um, I'm going to have to say that Michigan is going to prevail in this game. I, I think it would be a mistake if they let D'Antonio go. I mean, again, this is one of those programs where, you know, it's, it's a tough – Michigan State is a tough program uh, as far as recruiting is concerned and so forth and so on. And they got the right guy there. They're, they're having a down year. Right. So I, I, I really believe that they need to stick with the head coach, but I don't, I don't think they're going to prevail this week. Okay, so you got the Wolverines. All right, next game that we have – the Florida Gators ranked 11th in the country against Missouri. Records, just so you know, Florida goes into it 8-2, and two, uh, Missouri 5-4. and four. Yeah, Missouri's just coming off that uh, behind kick and they took last week uh, yeah, right. against uh, Georgia. But uh, I don't see it getting any better for the, for the, for the Tigers. I, I think the Florida State's going to win this one, too. Florida, okay, no problems. You got the Gators. Florida, I'm sorry. That's uh, all right. I know you're getting a little excited about their win last week. No big deal. You got it well again. Yeah, they so. destroyed Vanderbilt. It was like 56 nothing. 46 nothing. Well, it was by a lot. All right, so you got Florida, Michigan. We've got another five games to go. All right, Wisconsin, Nebraska. Wisconsin, 7-2. and two. Nebraska, 4-5. and five. I think a lot more people expected a whole lot more out of Nebraska with Scott Frost's second year. But what's your take on it? Yeah, with the kind of success that he had at uh, UCF, yeah, I think they're expecting big things from him. Sure. But he's trying it out. It's tough. It's tough to win the Big Ten, and I don't see him winning this week either. Okay. Uh, I've seen him coming out with an L this week, too. Well, right now, we're taking his lumps. We're keeping score, man, so we're going to find out. Lewis is the guy that has been uh, hired to keep tabs on you every week. So, all right, Wake, Wake Forest against Clemson. Now, this one's an interesting matchup. Wake Forest enters the game seven and two against Clemson, number three in the country, ten and zero. But the Demon Deacons are having a pretty decent year. Yeah, they are. I mean, uh, that's that's quite surprising. I am, I am going to go with. Uh, I know Clemson. They're they are um, obviously they're, they're feeling a little bit better. This week. I think they got into the college uh, football playoff now. I think they ranked what number? Four, they were number three. Or they mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, 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 they're the top five now. They're ranked number three. I think. Right. A couple. Some of the things that took place last week, but uh, I'm going to go with the Demon Deacons. You're going to pick the upset, Wake yeah, Forest. Really? Before we, um, Mel, before we go to that next game, I don't know if you've seen him, but obviously, you know that game ended pretty early. It was like thirty something nothing in the first half. But their backup at uh, Clemson, Chase Bryce. I don't know if you saw his line. That guy looks pretty impressive for somebody. Now, I believe Trevor Lawrence's uh, former high school quarterback teammate just committed to Clemson. So that would lead me to believe that, say, in another year or two, this is Chase Bryce's team. The guy's only a sophomore. Yeah, without question. You know, they, they, you know they're going to reload. I mean, Dabo's doing a great job recruiting. He's a heck of a recruiter. And the only way you can win in, in college football is you got to have horses. And that, Dabo's getting horses there. I mean, he's 
made that a destination place. Uh, they don't look at it, you know, it's, it's a Southern school. That's how they look at it. It's a Southern school. They play in the ACC. And Devil's a great coach. I mean, once he gets them there and they get them in that program, he does a great job with them. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all that they're, they're, getting, that they're getting all this talent over there. So you say Wake Forest could be Clemson. We're going to have a conversation yeah, when we get up to Georgia. Uh, I, I can't. All right, that's okay. That's why it's intriguing. I can't wait to talk about this when we meet face-to-face in a few weeks, Mel. All right, so we got a uh, top 12 matchup between Georgia and Auburn. Where are you going with this one, Mel? 8-1 for Georgia, 7-2 uh, yeah. for Auburn. You know, obviously Georgia needs to they need this game to, to stay in the conversation for the college uh, for the playoffs. Uh, that right now they have them a little bit ahead of Alabama at number four. Right. Auburn, you know, they're trying to get in the conversation so they can get down there and, uh, and play in the championship. No, they're, they're in the West, so they can't play in the championship game. But this is a this is a rivalry game. Georgia needs this game to stay alive. I think I'm going to go with Auburn. Really? Ooh, the yes, Mel, I, Mel is going out on the limb today. I, I All right. Yeah, I'm going to Auburn. Georgia, just, they just uh, offensively, they, I mean, they got a great defense, no question about it. But offensively, they aren't anything special. Neither is neither is Auburn, but I think that at least Auburn wants to be explosive. I don't, you know, Georgia doesn't want to be explosive. Kirby Smart likes to play conservative football offensively and just wants to play good defense and beat you up and wants to win a low-scoring game. I think that Auburn's going to get out, get out ahead, get out early, and it's going to force Georgia out of their game plan, which is to run the football, and they're going to, you know, they're going to make Jake Fromm beat them. All right, well, we're going to go back to Minnesota again since you like the Gophers so much. Uh, they go a 9-0 and against Iowa, 6-3, and a pretty interesting matchup. The game, by the way, is in Iowa. Yeah, I'm not going to go against the Golden Gophers. <laughs> uh, I mean, like I said, that was the first time me seeing them play. Obviously, that was a big game, so the emotions were high. You know, these players understood the magnitude of that game. It was a nationally televised game. Right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just hoping that they – you know that they didn't leave everything out there in the field last week, and they come out here and, and lay a dud this particular week. But I'm still, I think that PJ Flex and have those guys ready to play. I think they know what's in front of them. I think they know what the opportunity is that they have in front of them, the opportunity to make history at that program. And I think they're, I think they'll win. I think they'll beat Iowa. Uh, the man got smart there and decided to go Gophers. What do you want to say? I want to say what if you've given a couple of hot takes so far, Mel. So I think we're gonna program an audio clip that we're gonna start calling your hot takes the Habanero hot takes. You know, again, and just, we'll just get. <laughs> hey, I got a music junkie here, Mel, but that's okay if that's what the kid likes. Yeah, nothing music, but a hot take. I mean, like we'll just start. We'll All just right. you know we'll use a little alliteration there, but you know. Cause that, some some upsets you got brewing here, but let's go on to the next game, Scott. Uh, well, we got seven, so we didn't want to overbury the guy, and then we'll recap one or two of his predictions. We got Appalachian State twenty five, right twenty five against a team in your backyard, Georgia State. Now the records are interesting. This is a Sun Belt East uh, matchup. Appalachian State's eight and one, and Georgia State six and three. Now we got to give Mellis prompts that you predicted, I believe, Appalachian State to beat South Carolina. So, as much as we're going to beat up on you a little bit, got to give the man a chance to go ahead and pat himself on the back. Go ahead, but pick the game first, and then pat yourself yeah, on the back. App State was coming off that tough loss against uh, Georgia Southern. And right. Obviously, you know, and they're ranked in the top 25 at that particular time. And, you know, they dropped out, and now they're back in when they beat South Carolina, who's, you know, they're not a very good football team. But I think App State is in a different, is in a different league 
in Georgia State. I think App, App State will win this game as well, and I think they'll win it convincingly. But Appalachian State's a good football team. They're somebody that you have to be prepared for, obviously, because I think, if I'm not mistaken, they've beaten two FBS schools, haven't they, this year? Uh, I would assume. I don't have it in front of me, but I'll take your word for it. So, All right, you talked about South Carolina, though, Mel. You say it's a tough place to win. Why is it tough to win uh, when you're in South Carolina? It's hard to recruit. South Carolina is still coached, and a lot of the talent, there's not a lot of talent in South Carolina itself, so they're trying to get talent out of Georgia. Well, in Georgia, you got Alabama coming to Georgia, you got Georgia coming to Georgia, you got Clemson coming down here, and you got you got uh, Tennessee coming down here to look, you know, to get players, and you got Auburn coming into Georgia to get players, you got Florida, they, they come in here and get a little bit of Florida State, they come get some players out of here, so it's just a tough place you know, and if a, if, a, if a player has a choice of any one of those schools over South Carolina, they're probably going to choose a different school. If you have an opportunity to go to Georgia or South Carolina, and depending on what position you play, you're more than likely going to go to Georgia. Or if you have an opportunity you know, to go to Alabama over South Carolina, you're going to go to Alabama. So it's just a tough place to recruit. Okay. Well, that's true. Not too many coaches have won there. I think you said that Lou Holtz uh, – one there, and Steve Spurrier did one there, so Steve Spurrier wins everywhere. It's a seven, eight win a year program. If you can do that yearly, they should you should erect a statue out in front of the stadium. <laughs> and, and, and every five, you know, every five to seven years, you're competing for an SEC West championship. Yeah, they, they, they should put a statue out there for you. Yeah, they. <laughs> it's true. Uh, well, I mean, for whatever it's worth to you, Lewis, outside the University of South Carolina, it's also. Uh, there is a Columbia. Uh, the Mets have a farm club out there. I believe in there. Clemson is in South Carolina too. No. Yeah, they are. But I'm trying to I'm trying to help you out here. That in Columbia, the New York Mets have a farm team out there. There you go. Uh, but well, this may be one of the few things that ever on the diamond never gets past them. But yeah, you're right. South Carolina uh, is definitely a tough place to go. You know, and there's a lot of talent in that region. And when you're like Lewis said, that when you're competing against Clemson for that state then, yeah, it definitely presents a different set of challenges outside of the SEC, for sure. Absolutely. And if you're thinking about going to SEC school, okay, I mean, you know, if you're competing against Clemson, so, I mean, you can be, you know, the top of the ACC or you can be somewhere, you know, mid to the bottom of the SEC. When you're looking at those two schools and you're looking at a, a guy who's going to go there, I mean, you're going to be the doormat of the SEC or you're going to be the, the, the bully in the ACC. That's true. Uh, we're probably going to be, be the bully in the ACC. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a really, really good point. So, uh, any final thoughts about the Michigan-Michigan State game? I know this is an opportunity. Harbaugh's team is starting to play much better recently. And I think that if he can beat Michigan State, not that he's on the hot seat, but I think it would make the alumni base feel a lot better knowing that was one of his demons. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously another that's the little, the little brother. I mean, you can keep your job by by winning that game and winning that game alone. And Ohio State, of course. If you, if you go two and eleven, and you beat those two, your your, your job is safe. But I don't think they're gonna have an issue with them. Michigan State is kind of reeling right now. Uh, obviously, there's some stuff going on over there. There's talk right. about you know D'Antonio. And again, like I said, I think he's a, a great coach. He's done a lot of great things there at that program. Right. And, you know, anytime you anytime you have and I haven't watched a lot of Michigan State football, but I have to imagine that they, they're not very stable at the quarterback position, and that's right. why they're struggling. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that would be a big mistake for Michigan State to let uh, Mark D'Antonio go. 
Yeah, obviously broke. Right. Well, that's it too. That's the one thing. Anytime somebody talks about getting rid of a coach, the biggest thing I've always wondered is who you can replace him with. Okay, and let alone the fact that guy uh, is the all-time winningest coach in Michigan State starting history. You got a minute? What do you want to say? Yeah. Well, didn't Willie Tiger just get let go? You think he has aspirations of coaching again? I mean, would there be a fit there, possibly? Or I mean, no, no, no way. Willie Tiger. Unfortunately for Willie, and being an African-American quarterback and failing the way that he did at Florida State, it's going to be very difficult for him to get a big-time program like that job. He won't get that job. He's going to have to, you know, go down to FCS or something like that, work his way back up again like he did to get the Oregon job. But it's going to be very difficult for Willie to get a job, especially the way things ended up down there at Florida State. That wasn't a good look, and it, it obviously doesn't look good for him. But he don't need the money right now. He's getting paid, so he's okay. Seventeen million dollars. Don't, don't cry. Don't cry for Willie. He's yeah. all right. Yeah. Well, I think the only job he could get might be USF, if depending on what they decide to do with Charlie Strong. He's revered there and recruited well. But we'll just see if he ever takes another job. But you're right. I don't think he's looking anytime soon. Take that seventeen million dollars. Buy a boat, just chill out a little bit, watch a little bit of football, and you see what comes along. I think Willie Taggart will be a head coach. And, uh, it remains to be seen when. But meanwhile, Mel, we'll plan out. By the way, just want to uh, once again pass on my condolences uh, to you and your to your grandmother who passed away. I know she had a long celebration life, so you know our hearts are with you. And uh, uh, just know that you're always in our uh, thoughts and prayers, okay? But meanwhile, let's get ready to go back to work next Thursday. Okay, buddy? All righty? The show must go on. All right. You got it. Well, we'll, I'll have some more good college games to keep you stimulated. But we're not going to be – I just was waiting for the I told you so with the Minnesota game this week. I went about the LSU. That was a coin toss. But that's okay. No big deal. We'll do it again next week. So, meanwhile, Mel, have yourself a great rest of the night. And we'll uh, we'll go back to work next Thursday. Okay, buddy? All righty? All right. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right. Thanks. Have a good night, partner. Thank you. So, okay, what'd you get out of that? I, I was surprised you didn't mention how misleading uh, Tua's line was in that game, obviously. Didn't want, it didn't matter. Yeah. Didn't I know care. you were happy that they lost, though. I was just glad to get the LSU yeah. one. Forget about Tua, who, by the way, I don't think uh, is a top-five quarterback. No, and I think, yeah, look, I look at his physical makeup, and he reminds me a lot of Baker Mayfield coming out of Oklahoma. Right. I think he's going to struggle at the outset of his NFL career. But, yeah, his line was misleading. He completed 52% of his passes but four touchdowns to one interception. Look, I don't know why Saban didn't emphasize defense, and I did look, need to look at those older game logs from earlier in this year, but that was a high-scoring game. Well, don't you ever, okay, and I'm telling you, national radio ever wonder why I didn't mention it, because you know why? If I thought it was important, I'd mention it. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Just a little teaching moment with you. Okay? Thought, yeah, it was interesting. I mean, misleading. Like, you think a quarterback goes 4-1, touchdown, interception, he's going to win the game most of the right. time, but not when your defense is allowing 46 points. So, I mean, we were watching that game, parts of it, when we were getting ready for the FAU uh, Shula Bowl against FIU. Right. That's true. And that we game were. was back and forth. You know, at one point, uh, LSU had a two-score lead, and then, you know, Alabama came back, and then it was just back. It was tug-of-war, man. Uh, so, yeah, look, I'm going to mention it again. I like this guy, Chase Bryce. You know, I know Lawrence has another year to play at Clemson, and right. maybe he can go out on top as a national championship, uh, national champion next year. But I think that team moving forward is Chase Bryce's team. Okay. I think Chase Bryce has shown he's a, he's a dual threat. He, he has the shown him the ability to run. He's a decent passer. I believe he was 5 for 8 with passing. Did throw a touchdown in that game. But, yeah, look, I don't know. They have a very soft schedule heading into the playoffs. I mean, they're 10-0 and now. I'm surprised Mel picked them to lose. But, 
you know, look, I'm not going to put anything past uh, Clemson. So, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, well, I, Sean that, one, that one kind of caught me off guard. Yeah, but hey, the habanero hot takes. It's just, All right, it's okay. That's okay. Whatever. I, I, I'm I'm clueless with that one, but all right, I'll take your word for it, whatever. No, uh, it's not a, it's not a no nothing music related. No, but, I don't know what yeah. it is. Okay, yeah, no, having just, your hot takes isn't something I really thought about today, but just, until you brought it up, yeah. That's okay. No, I'm yeah. Look, I'm surprised at what he said. At the same time, though, you know, I'll be tuned into that Clemson game. I want to see how Alabama rebounds. I don't know how often if if you know how often has Nick Saban lost consecutive games since he's been over at Alabama. Probably not that much, right? He's probably got a quick reset, you know. You know, the Patriots drink that dirty water down there in Boston, so yeah. they, they know. Uh, that's a standout quote, by the way, for oh. music fans down there. Oh. But, um, <laughs> so, yeah, look, it will be it'll be interesting to see. I know I say that quite frequently, but, you know, so to see a coach like Saban, you know, how, how upset the college football world will be if they end up on top again at the end when it's all said and done. I don't know. I, I don't know. A guy that will probably add a little insight to that will be Tom Shanahan when he comes on the line. Yeah. He has a few things he does want to say about Alabama. So we'll let, uh, we'll find out what Tommy uh, Shanahan has to say. He should be at any moment. But yeah, having her hot takes. Uh, I don't know anything about it now. Just a hot pepper and then a hot take. Oh, so. is that what that yeah, is? Yeah, okay. habanero is just a type of pepper. Yeah, I'm not trying to get Rachel Ray on everybody here, but that's that's all it is. Just a little fun alliteration, you know. But yeah, look. Yeah, you you next gen people bring up stuff that I'm not even sure about. College so. football playoffs are. Upon us, look. We, I mean, if we're talking college football real quick, let's talk about real quick the FAU Shula Bowl that we saw. FAU now thirteen and four in eighteen Shula Bowls. They lost in two thousand and five, but that win was taken from FIU due to instabilities in their football program. Look, another great game from, you know, Kiffin and Co. I mean, the defense was fantastic. Right. You know, good performance by Chris Robinson. I believe he was near three hundred yards passing. Right. D'Angelo Antoine three touchdowns on the ground. I mean. You know, all around great game for FAU, and they're first in Conference USA East. They're seven and two right now, I believe. Or yeah, seven they're looking three. awfully good. Yeah, look, Kiffin's done a lot for that program, and you talk a lot about how coaches do a lot for getting programs back up to speed, and you know, reestablishing the relevancy within them. And he's done that just there. And you know, I know we, we're not going to talk much FAU on here unless it's something that we've recently covered. But right, that's again, true. Yeah. So, I mean, I know we have a couple of minutes before Shanahan comes on, but I'll talk real quick, you know, get back to the baseball podcast we were talking about. You know, Tuesday we filmed our first episode, 108 Stitches, and, you know, a brief outline for our listeners who, you know, can check us out again on Spreaker, Spotify, and iTunes Podcast Center. We're going to do, given that it's the off season right now and you're mostly just hearing moves and signings and trades and, and et cetera, et cetera, what we're really going to focus on is trying to do this show about once every two weeks or so. And then, you know, when the season picks up again, you know, Spring training starting in late February, early March. We're going to talk a little bit more. Do try to make them a weekly thing. We'll do them on Tuesdays. You'll probably get those shows out there. And yeah, I mean, look, you know, baseball's a year-round thing, but right now our focus is other places. Given that there's no games going on right now, but it's a definitely a good show. If you guys really want to listen to it, you're going to get a lot of perspective from me, somebody who's steeped, you know, analytics. I love sabermetrics. I, well, one guy that's going to talk about Alabama football. His name is Tom Shanahan. And Tom, welcome to the Sports Exchange, buddy. Glad to have you guys. Oh, that's okay. Don't worry. I, that's a good reason. Okay, no big deal. So let's talk about the college football rankings, uh, uh, shall we? I know that uh, you talk about Alabama being number five. You don't think that they deserve any higher? No, I don't. I'm glad uh, Ohio LSU's number one. Yeah, they deserve that. Ohio State number two. Clemson uh, back in at number three. They're undefeated. Georgia, number four. Alabama keeps 
you know, they're down at number five, and I don't think they deserve to be in the playoffs. They haven't, uh, they haven't played anybody. They lost their big game to LSU. Right. The thing to remember about Alabama is they always get second chances. Uh, what was the 2011 season, maybe 2012, right. where, where LSU won the conference title, and uh, Alabama, um, let's see, yeah, it would have been 2012 because it was the BCS, and Alabama loses to LSU during the regular season. LSU is ranked number one, wins the, the conference title. Yet they picked Alabama to be in the BCS final, one of two teams. Uh, you know, why should Alabama get a second chance? Right. Just because the SEC is supposedly a tough conference, right. and then uh, and then Alabama wins the national title after not winning in the conference. And then 2017, same thing. They don't uh, they don't win their division. They lose to Auburn, and uh, they, so and then Auburn loses to Georgia in the. SEC championship game, so essentially Alabama's a third-place team, and they still put them as one of the four teams in the college football playoff. They get into the final and uh, win the national championship. So I think Alabama gets too many second chances. They haven't played anybody this year, and uh, I'm glad to see that they're not in the top four. Yeah, I agree with you. I, you're right. I, I, I'm surprised that they even got to number five. They have more lives than Morris had at nine. Yeah, and it just shows you that uh, the committee is, is too influenced by brand names and yeah, uh, yeah. NFL draft picks and that type of thing. Okay, let, we got a few minutes to go here, so let's go through it really quickly. Minnesota's ranked eighth. Do they deserve that or more? Uh, I don't see why not. Uh, they, uh, they jumped up quite a bit, uh, I think about eight spots. Right. So, uh, yeah, you got Oregon's number six. They've only lost one game. Uh, that was to Auburn early in the year, I think the opener. Utah's is number seven. They've only lost one game, and that was at USC. So that's a, that's a good loss. And then uh, Minnesota is 9-0 and at number eight, and Penn State is number nine. Mm-hmm. So uh, Minnesota beat Penn State, so they definitely have to be ahead of Penn State. And then you have Oklahoma at number 10. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a good, uh, good spot for Minnesota. Okay, Ohio State's Chase Young suspension got reduced two games. Yeah, uh, you know, I, the thing that I heard about that is the NCAA, that Chase Young, he came clean and admitted everything that he had. You know, he didn't, he didn't try to give the NCAA any kind of runaround, which a lot of these guys do. And, uh, uh, you know, giving him the full story, admitting he made a mistake, paying back the loan. Uh, and so the NCAA was a little more lenient on that. So, he's, so that means he'll miss Rutgers and Rutgers and Maryland, I think it is. Right. What the Ohio State schedule is, but he'll still be able to play in the Michigan game. They haven't played Penn State yet, have they? No, not yet. So he'll be around for the two yeah. games that matter. So, oh, Ohio State has four games left. Wow. Right. Okay. Yeah. So they miss Maryland, Rutgers, and then Ohio State has Penn State and Michigan back to back. That's tough. Right, but they but they Michigan. get the players. So all right, so. All right, and one thing I know that you really want to talk about, and we'll go with that, is Navy-Notre Dame series. Give us a little bit of a background on that. Yeah, it's interesting. This year with Notre Dame is always ranked, of course. They're number 16, and Navy's ranked number 21. Uh, A lot of people don't realize the reason that Notre Dame plays Navy every year. Uh, You know, Notre Dame has a history of also playing Air Force and Army, but they play Navy every year. And the reason for that is it's back during the World War II years, Notre Dame was an all-male, 
men's school, and it was a small campus. And so when World War II hit, men were going off to war. Uh, they were teetering on the, the verge of bankruptcy. And the Naval, the, the United States Navy set up an officer training program because they needed to rush more officers through, uh, uh, through their training. They, I think it would be, be like three years instead of four. And uh, with all those Navy officers being trained in Notre Dame, it saved Notre Dame financially. And Notre Dame uh, told Navy that they would play them every year as long as they want uh, to pay them back. And to Navy's credit, you know, there's been a lot of lean years. I think Notre Dame won 43 straight games. Uh, Navy uh, appreciates the history and the tradition, even though it's a lot, most years a mismatch. And that's why the game has continued all these years. Yeah, that, that is amazing. You talk about some of the games that Notre Dame has given up because they have their partial ACC commitment. But, you know, it's good that, you know, Common Logic has these two schools playing or the Naval Academy, so to speak, and Notre Dame. So, yeah, I agree. It, it's good. You need some of these types of rivalries. And the fact that you give a very good historical perspective on this one, to me, is, is even more worth our while to even talk about it let alone the fact, Tommy, that, you know, it, it happens just a few days after Veterans Day as well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Ken, Navy coach Ken Neobatololo talked about how they, to beat Notre Dame, they have to play a perfect game. And when they have beaten them, Navy's been down a little bit. But they still want to play the game for all the history and tradition, uh, even though it's a lopsided series. Why not? Why not? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, we're talking about the Naval Academy. For those listening for the first time, I ought to realize that Napoleon McCallum played out of there. Roger Staubach played out of there. David Robinson on the basketball side. So, you know, there are some pretty elite athletes that actually play at the Naval Academy. And if I can add real quick, you got um, Mitch Harris, Naval Academy, played Major League Baseball. Right. You know, I mean, there are some good athletes that play out of there. Just the thing is, they just don't get as much notoriety as some of the other ones that do. So, yeah, I think David Robinson. I, you know, I think. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. That Donald Trump, the president, has talked about wanting these. Says it's he has endorses the fact that these guys can play professional sports immediately and serve their time later. So, are you going to that game? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, Lordy, Lordy. Okay, well, while we have another minute or so, uh, what are your thoughts about the Duke Syracuse game? We got another minute or so we can spare a minute. Well, uh, Syracuse, uh, after that 10 and 3 season, they just came back with no defense this year, so it's been a disappointing season. They can't stop anybody. Uh, Duke, uh, I thought, would have a better season than they're having. They're four and five. Uh, One play against North Carolina, one play against Pitt. And, uh, you know, their season. 
what's that make them? Uh, uh, six and three, uh, and they'd be in contention for the Coastal title. But uh, anytime you can hang around Duke and Duke coach David Cunclips, there's always something to learn about football, so I enjoy it. Well, just you know, Mel Farr went out on a limb and says he thinks Wake Forest is going to head go ahead and beat Clemson. So. Uh, he might be right. Uh, I really? Would, I wouldn't bet it, but uh, Wake Forest is a very good team. Well, I mean, they're playing pretty well as a seven-two team yeah. against yeah. a machine like Clemson. So, I don't know. I, I know Dave Gordon. Clemson might have had their wake-up call that North Carolina almost beat them. Well, David Gordon would certainly like that, wouldn't he? Yeah, he would. <laughs> Yeah, I'll have to bring David on the show one time. But meanwhile, so you're watching the Michigan State game? That's right. Give me a score while you're doing it real quick before Spartans, Michael uh, Keller comes on. shooting very well. The Spartans are leading 30 to 27. Okay, you want to make a prediction on the Michigan-Michigan State game? Football. Huh? Uh, Football. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping for a Spartan win. That's all I can say. <laughs> hoping for a Spartan win. I guess I shouldn't have expected anything else out of you, should I, Shani? <laughs> I know. That's why I asked you anyways, knowing I was going to get the obvious. All right, Tommy. Listen, we appreciate you uh, being on the program. I will look for some college hoop action on Tuesday. Thank you, Tommy. Appreciate you, partner. Thank you. That's good. I'll talk to you then. Have a good one. Take care. Yeah, bye. Did you get any of that? Yeah. I mean, hey, I was just – we were throwing out athletes who played in the uh, Naval Academy. Mitch Harris had a stint with the St. Louis Cardinals in 2015, so – Another example of a guy, obviously we already discussed Pat Tillman on Tuesday when we talked Veterans Day and all that. But, uh, yeah, look, hey, I'm going to try to plug it again before we get our next guest on. It doesn't matter. I don't care. Talking about our baseball show. So, I mean, you're going to, like I said before. Please do. Yeah. Hopefully I don't get cut off again. We, um, yeah, it's going to be, you're going to see varying perspectives. Scott comes from an old school of baseball thought, whereas, you know, I embrace a lot of the Sabre metrics and I would, I'd say progressive ways of thought, but that's just progressive as a way that just, we're just, thinking of different directions at this point you know new schools of thought for valuing player ability we're going to talk everything on that show we're going to talk you know trades signings managerial hirings you know gms and executives leaving teams possible team sales whatever you may think of and you know we're going to have a phone number listed on the show so you guys can have the opportunity to call chime in and give us your thoughts right and uh, yeah it's going to pick up when the season starts but we're doing some coverage right now it's it's gonna be fun, and then obviously we have Scott has his show. If you want to talk about it real quick, the real and the rare with Xavier McKnight, you want right. to give a couple words on that? Well, yeah. What's nice about the real and the rare is Xavier McKnight gets to talk about a sports topic one day a week. Then he goes ahead and gets to talk about a non-sports subject. The one thing that we're trying to accomplish here at the network is, you know, we we don't want everybody to think that we're only sports only. That we have a lot of variety, which is why we give you the opportunity a couple times a month to talk about music. So. Yeah, yeah. Music is a part of all of our lives, whether we like this. Admit it or not, but sorry, it's uh, yeah. Look, I mean, obviously Scott, I believe, talked his favorite Thanksgiving dishes the other day. So oh, God, that was that fun. was interesting. I hope there was a mention of a sweet potato casserole in there because oh, I've been championing was. that for a while. But I mean, you can't go wrong with some turkey, mac and cheese, and some uh, some football, right? And especially you got your Detroit Lions playing. Although uh, you yeah. may be seeing a uh, substitute teacher for a quarterback out there and uh, Jeff Driscoll this th- that coming Thursday uh-huh. on the twenty eighth. But yeah, no, look, we got a lot of good stuff on there. You know, I'm going to use this opportunity again to plug our Twitter page. Follow us at Tribune South. Follow me on Twitter at Adio underscore Lewis zero zero. You know, I'm trying to grow some followers on there. You'll see a lot of the content that I've plugged for articles that I've written. And you'll see, you know, a lot of the Tribune stuff that we're retweeting and we're trying to share. And we're just trying to grow this thing. So, you know, we need you guys. We need your support. And we'd love to get more listeners on. So, you know, let's get this done and, you know, let's grow together. 
But, um, you know, next guest we have coming on, we uh, have... There's Michael have, Keller. Mike? Yeah, there he is, Mr. Michael Keller, Michigan man himself. Oh, trying to get him. Yeah, we're having some uh, some difficulties. I believe you said he lives in middle of Michigan, right? So yeah. He's, he's, you know, he's living the uh, humble Abraham Lincoln lifestyle with the log cabin and such. Yeah, you know, Keller's going to talk some Michigan football with us. You obviously have the game coming up, Michigan, Michigan State, you know. You know, Harborough seven and two squad going up against four and five Michigan State. I believe Michigan is favored by fourteen in that game. So you know, if you're a betting man, you know, I guess you know who to go for. But yeah, any anything else you want to talk about? Other shows that you got going well, on in the I program? Mean, you, you know, you know the lineup. Go ahead. Yeah. So yeah, fantasy yeah. football, Ryan Skoru, Wild yeah. Bill Winters, and I. We all have a we always have a pretty good show there. Yeah, we should start put. I think I was thinking about this. We should start posting poll questions on Twitter with topics about like different things going on in the sports world. And you know, get feedback from everybody else. So, you know, Scott, you want to think about a possible poll question for any sports going on this weekend? You know, would you? You know, we could say, you know, you know what? I got one right now because Clemson's playing Wake Forest. Um, who do you have winning that game? You put it on your Twitter page, Clemson or Wake Forest, and then you just you know put an average Twitter poll out there, and we'll get fan feedback on it. So it's a good way to engage our listeners. A little Absolutely, bit yeah, that, that's so. a good idea, especially now that you're going to continue to build your Twitter following, right? Yeah, I mean my Twitter's got to grow. It's feeble enough following, and it's like sixty <laughs> followers. So it's um as um as the poets would say in Britain, it's breadline when it comes to a follower count. But yeah, look again, we got a lot of cool content on there. Obviously, Xavier does his show with Scott. You know, me and Scott do this show twice a week. And right. coming up for you guys next week, we actually have another the second episode of Tribune Tunes. Although we're still kind of trying to tinker with the name a little bit. I don't think it's, like, as great as, it, as I initially thought it would be. But, you know, that's the beauty of this. We have so much time to work on these things. And, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, as Scott likes to say. Or as I like to say, the Red Sox didn't win a World Series in one day. It took 86 years. So, so you're trying to go ahead and steal my lines. That's no, okay. I mean, you that's can't right. copyright that. I'm not going to be like LeBron and copyright Taco Tuesday. But, yeah, you know. You want If you want, Scott, we, you know, while we're waiting on Michael to call, why don't we preview what we're going to be talking about on our music show next Thursday? Well, go ahead. So we're so our first episode was kind of just like a little bit of a background with me and Scott and you know a lot of the music that we listen right. to. But this this week, and we're going to get into more like topic-based stuff as we move forward, but this next week's show is going to be on our 10 favorite artists of all time. So, you know, you thought I had some weird ways and of evaluating player ability in baseball and the way I discuss sports, you know, the way that I do it is weird. Listen to some of the artists that I'm going to list. A lot of them you're probably going to know, but then a couple of other ones you're going to be like, hmm. But that's the beauty of this show is I like to, as I want to turn on people to music and, you know, music they probably haven't heard before and how it will resonate with them and, you know, how it will carry on with them as they go on throughout their lives. I, I don't know. I always think about what music, when I think about you, is how the age generation gap is what we have here yeah. is what I, I look at it with you but that's okay you know what you always try to introduce new material as what you really literally try to do and that's why when you try to get creative with the network and you look for different things and that's really what it comes down to anyways you yeah know I, look, I think we're gonna have a pretty fun conversation the cool thing about this is it's kind of gonna be there's not gonna be there's not gonna be any arguments because it's objective right it's or just it's subjective it's our own favorite list you know we're gonna talk I'm going to talk my favorite artist. You're going to talk your favorite artist. We're going to talk why we like those artists. And I think it'll make for a pretty fun conversation. I think a lot of people are going to like it. I actually shared the first music show with some people. I had my dad listen to it the other day. Right. And, you know, he, he loved it. He, he loved the back and forth between us, you know, because, 
you know, sports is a beautiful thing, but music is another beautiful thing. And I think, you know. Well, your dad plays his cards, right? He'll be sitting here with yeah. us talking about you'll, it. So I'll be, look forward to getting will, Vikings perspective. You guys will get along well talking about doo-wop. He'll probably. Doo-wop. I don't even follow that stuff. That, that, no, that well, doo-wop business for my under, dad, not me. You have to understand that doo-wop stopped being a thing after the early 60s. That's right? not what it was. Okay. But, yeah, but you guys, I think you guys will have fun, you know. The music show is something that's, you know, it's in its inceptive stages right now, but I think it's going to be a pretty good show. Like like Scott said, and, you know, I'll echo the same sentiment. We're trying to preach versatility here. We're not going to talk about the same things all the time. That's why when we do our next baseball show, we're not going to talk about the same awards that we just talked about. We're going to be talking about the recent signings. Right. And if you want to talk a little baseball real quick, there was actually a first real big move of the offseason that came out today. The Atlanta Braves three-year contract with Will Smith qualifying oh, offers came out today. So I like that move for Atlanta, and they did announce that Smith is going to serve as their setup man as we talk a little baseball here. He did get a three-year deal for $39 million. He turned down the qualifying offer for the San Francisco Giants, yeah. something I believe Madison Bumgarner will do because I believe his annual salary will be somewhere in the range of – Twenty million a year, he'll probably get. You know, yeah, so the Braves, I think, are pursuing Baumgartner. Then who, yeah, who in the their Yankees, right mind wouldn't? In fact, are talking. Well, the Yankees will talk to everybody. Which you know what? I'm gonna give me your take on this real quick because sure. before I say this, I don't really like the idea of getting Bumgarner in the rotation. And the only reason I'll say that is this: the Washington Nationals won the World Series because they had Strasburg and Corbin, right? Two power right-handed pitchers. Then you have a left-hander in Patrick Corbin, a left-hander, right? You know, it's his velocity is about 92 to 94. You know, he'll top out at 95, 96, but it's from the left side. You're seeing different arm angles. The Yankees have the likes of James Paxton and Jordan Montgomery in that rotation. Also, Jay Happ. The commonality between those three is they're all left-handed pitchers. You know, Bumgarner's another left-handed pitcher. If you have four lefties in that rotation, offenses are going to wake up to it. And then we also have to take into account that Bumgarner's average fastball velocity this year, according to Fangrass, was 91.7 miles per hour. It's trending upwards slightly, but we also have to remember he's 31. He's not the same 26-year-old guy who he was, 25, I'm sorry, when he had that magnificent run in the 2014 postseason. I don't like him in a ballpark like that. New York, he posted a 3-9 ERA in San Francisco, and for a ballpark that um, tends to tends to subvert home runs the way that it does, it would not go well in Yankee Stadium for him. I mean, And the fact that if you have four left-handers in a rotation, it's not... It's going to be, I believe, when like the 1972 Chicago White Sox had four knuckleballers in the rotation, right? right. You're throwing Wilbur Wood out there. Oh, <laughs> boy, you're really I remember Wilbur Wood, too. I Very think, good pitcher, by the way. Yeah, I remember. The Tigers dealt with him a lot. When, I think Hoyt Wilhelm was mm-hmm. Hoyt Wilhelm was a knuckleballer. He was a reliever primarily, but yeah, right. he did at one point pitch with the Chicago White Sox. He's in the Hall of Fame. But yeah, yeah look. Back to the uh, Bumgarner thing. I don't think he makes sense in New York. I think he makes more sense in Atlanta because they need a veteran presence in that rotation. Keuchel did his due diligence with them, but I think Bumgarner provides them a little bit more stability. And Keuchel's had postseason success, but Bumgarner's postseason success is unparalleled. Minimum from 25 innings, but he's got the best World Series ERA of all time at .24. So, I mean, the guy knows how to get it done. And Atlanta, for a team that's won the NL East the last couple of years, to be able to get somebody like that who's got that pedigree. Look, we saw Kershaw, who's had his postseason blowups, and obviously his drop in velocity right. may have been a bit of a reason why, and Dave Roberts' misuse, why he had that blowup against the Nationals in that Game 5 of the division series. But Bumgarner is the kind of guy who I don't think that notion applies to because throughout right. his postseason, if you don't, if you don't remember... Game five of the, of the world, no, it was game four of the World Series. Bumgarner's 20 years old, and what does he do in game four against the Texas Rangers, a team that was heavily favored to win that series? He goes down and he throws eight shutout innings against the 2010 MVP, Josh Hamilton, against Elvis Andrews, you know, Nelson Cruz, who had a historic postseason. Oh, Matt Gum, yeah, but Matt Gum was also a pretty good hitter, too. Absolutely. So. 17 career home runs, so I don't want to take Is that how many it was? Mm-hmm. 18, I believe. But oh, whatever. Way. That's a lot. Yeah, well, the, the only guy that I can recall being a real big home run hitter. 
uh, it was Mike Hampton when he went mm-hmm. to Colorado. Yeah, and oh, you know, with the famous quote, I'm going there for the school system. No, you're not, Hampton. Yeah. Hampton won five Silver Sluggers Award, funny enough. You know who was another great hitter, which was, he was before our times, but he's in a lit, he's in an article that I write, I wrote in the Tribune called, which I'm doing in the off season. I'm taking advantage of it because right. I like to do contextual stuff. It's pitching by eras. And I talked about the best pitchers of the 1930s. And one guy I mentioned there was Wes Farrell, who I believe was number three on that list as far as pitcher war is concerned for the 1930s. Wes Farrell actually owns a career record for home runs by a pitcher, 37 home runs as a pitcher. Warren Spahn, funny enough, is second. He has 35. Warren Spahn, also a good hitter in his own right. Obviously, you know, there's a myriad of good hitters now, and we talk about the idea of pitchers getting the bat taken out of their hands with this universal DH. But, yeah, if you put Bumgarner in the American League, you're going to take something out of your line. Well, not necessarily out of your lineup because he's – one of those three true outcomes pitchers. He'll hit for power for you occasionally at the pitcher position as an offensive player, but he's tend he prone to strike out a lot. So you know what? I want to see him in a National League team. I'm not gonna like seeing him if he goes to the NL East and faces my Miami Marlins because he has a pretty good history against them and he dissects right. him, especially given his low three quarter arm angle and his good breaking stuff. Right. You know I like that, but as far as the Will Smith move is concerned, I think it's important. Smith by um, I believe the metric was fielding independent pitching, which is adjusted ERA minus your home runs and adjust for ballpark factor, was best among all relief pitchers in baseball in 2019. And when you put him in a bullpen that has already Mark Melanson, who we saw have a resurgence with Atlanta after some struggles early on in San Francisco when he signed the four-year deal for $62.5 million before Jansen and Chapman slashed that up a couple of days later that offseason, I think it makes sense. Look, Smith will be your setup man. He did it in Kansas City. He did it in Milwaukee. And he was a fantastic closer in San Francisco. So why not? I mean, look. Atlanta needs a strong bullpen to complement a very good young starting rotation. Yeah. Obviously, you know, you have guys like Sean Newcomb and um, Mike Fultonavich. You have um, Mike Soroka, who finished second rookie of the year. So they have the, the makings of a pretty good team. I think if there's one team right now that we see as, foresee as the next upcoming dynasty, and you can get back to me on this because we know what happened with Houston and their shenanigans, I think it's probably a team like... The, the Braves, they just have the nucleus there. Obviously, Acuna and Albies, those guys on the position player front. Donaldson. Yeah, I think the Braves are definitely a team to watch, that's for sure. Uh, you know, again, are they a player away or two? Mm-hmm. Uh, the only time you ever really spend any money is if you think they're a player away or two. Yeah. Don't build your team around spending a lot of money. You just don't do it, mm-hmm. especially in, in, with these economic times mm-hmm. and where everybody's trying to get near the below the luxury tax threshold. Yeah, the Acuna and Albies deals were steals. Acuna, who was a bona fide MVP candidate for most of this year, had he not gotten hurt, he finished shy of a 40-40 season. They got him for eight, an extension. The guy's 21 years old, eight years, $100 million. We know that if this guy's 21, he's only going to get better. He goes to free agency, he's going to make a hell of a lot more money. And then Ozzy Albies, seven years, $35 million. You have to understand that it may seem like you're robbing these guys of millions of dollars, but where they grew up, you know, as kids, they never had nothing growing up. They had little to nothing. Right. So to give them guaranteed money that their families will never have to work again for the rest of their lives, it's it's a perfect incentive on the brace part. And then it also locks up core players and buys out some of their free agency. Right. So it, I think it's smart, you know, works on their end. You know, I applaud Alex Anthopoulos for the job that he's done over there. I think he's done a terrific job. Josh Donaldson was a great, you know, obviously a great signing for the one-year deal that he was there. He, re- he rejected the qualifying offer today if we're on the subject of that. So I could see him possibly playing somewhere like Texas, a team that may need a third baseman given their offensive woes could be the New York Mets. Look, they have, obviously they have um, Jeff McNeil, fantastic player who mm-hmm. gives you the option to play multiple positions. And you have Robinson Cano for three more years at second base. Right. But, you know, wouldn't you want a guy like Donaldson who hits for power? And he knows the division, obviously, because he played there last well, year. Well, you, you would think that 
if there's perception and there's reality, that's the way it is when you know the division like you do. Familiarity is what it is. But you know what's again, you know what, you're talking hot stove right now, okay? Mm-hmm. So what, what are we, November 14th? Mm-hmm. We even hit the baseball winter meetings yet, even though Tony said, mm-hmm. DeMarco said last, but it'll be a slow moving off yeah, season. It will. So. Yeah. I mean, but it gives you something to talk about. It keeps you in your comfort zone for a yeah. while. Well, hey, look, if you want to talk some football real quick, one of the games that we have coming up, I believe the Sunday night game is Bears and Rams. Right. Talk a little bit about that with me. I mean, look, when I look at Mitchell Trubisky, I like the guy, and I believe they gave him a three-year extension upwards of $60 million about a year or so ago. Right. But when I watch him, and Chris Collinsworth pointed that out, and if there's an analyst right now that I have more respect for than Chris Collinsworth, his name is Tony Romo. But Collinsworth made the point that, that Trubisky, as good as he is, He's got heavy feet. I think he relies too heavily. He's too stiff on the ground. You know, he likes to bust out and run a little bit every once in a while. But I don't know, man. Like, I think, but really, who's going to win that game? Like, Jared Goff, they're surprised. Well, you know, it's funny how you talk about that. So, let's now that you brought it up, I think the only way that I can define that game is you have two underachieving football teams. You really do. I mean, a lot. Bear in mind, the Rams just came off a Super Bowl appearance. Mm -hmm. And the Bears were a missed field goal away from going deeper into the playoffs, their field goal, uh, their kicking game failed them. But, you know, yet meanwhile, that figures to be a slugfest uh, or a defensive slugfest. We don't know what we're going to see out of, the, out of the Rams that night. So Yeah, and the Bears' defense, I mean, it started off so hot the first couple of weeks of the season. Didn't I it? know, yeah. I know, because they were my fantasy team. And the first <laughs> week they limited, forgot who they played week one, but that may have, oh, I think it was Green Bay. And Green Bay won that game, but they played a strong game throughout. It was very close. Right. It was like I was watching a baseball game. Right. You know, very close game. But, yeah, Goff to, to you know, the fact that we were just talking about him. I think there's something about this soup, about the coming up, losing a Super Bowl that tends to mess with the psyche of quarterbacks. And let's look at it. I actually have right down here the starting quarterbacks who have lost the last four Super Bowls. Okay, go ahead. Right, so Goff, obviously. They're 5-4 mm-hmm. and four right now, but we saw that game earlier in the season when he dropped well, back like 64 Yeah, but they times. always call it the Super Bowl hangover. So, you know, go ahead, though. you got Goff as one. Goff as one. I mean, look, Brady, I mentioned the term dirty water before. Belichick's probably, you know, he's drinking like 75 green juices a day or whatever Alex Guerrero, his trainer, is having him do. So that's an obvious, um, you know, no topic because given the fact that he won and beat Goff in the Super Bowl. And then 2017, Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan is the starter this year. Scott is 2-6. and six. They, they picked up a good win against Drew Brees and the Saints. It's a, a surprising win. They actually had seven sacks, I believe, in that game. And in those last seven weeks, they only had six sacks total. So he's another one, you know, though Ryan has still looked good. And obviously somebody we talked about early on in this program's inception is Cam Newton. Cam Newton obviously has that Linsfrag problem in his foot, so he hasn't been able to play. And I think you and I can agree that Cam Newton's time, you know, since that MVP season, he it's just been diminishing returns the last couple of years. You know, I got Candy standing right by me. She can agree. I think, I mean, wouldn't you agree, Candy and Scott? I think Newton's time in Carolina is over. I think it's time for the guy to move on. I think so, too. Yeah, I think it's the Kyle Allen show from now on, and Ron Rivera is going to have to, you know, he's going to have to man the ship with Kyle Allen. You know, maybe you, if anyone here has ever seen the bench warmers, there was a character, one of the characters, I believe it was a, uh, I think it was Clark. He would, whenever he would swing the bat, the bat would fly out of his hands, and he would end up always breaking something. Kyle Allen obviously has a propensity to fumble the football, so maybe they uh, think about taping him up a little bit if he decides to bust out and run a little bit. And obviously, I'm being facetious there. But and then look, Scott, 2015, we have Russell Wilson. Obviously, 
you know, you can't really apply that to him, you know, the Super Bowl hangover, because the Seahawks have managed to remain a fantastic team. Obviously, they played that great playoff game the following year against the Minnesota Vikings, I believe it was, where Wilson threw something like two or three interceptions in the first half of that game, and then he came out, and he was fantastic, and they ushered in a, a massive comeback win. But, yeah, I mean, to your credit, you know, you tell me, you think the Super Bowl hangover is a real thing? Oh, no doubt about yeah. it. Yeah, are you kidding? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it happens. I mean, you do the research uh, one day. One day what we'll do is we'll do the research on what the Super Bowl hangover really is, and you'll find that a lot of uh, teams just simply don't go ahead and, uh, you know, they'll come back too easy. It, but that's beside the point. It'll, it'll, be inter- it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. But meanwhile, our next guest will have an opportunity to do. Uh, we'll, we'll pick a lot of football games. Bill Winters is always on the show. He's worked his way to a point where, you know, he's on the network three times a week now. And, Bill, you know what? We have a lot of fun when we talk about some of the shows that we actually have. You know, while Bill Winters and I come up with some subjects, not only football-related, okay, but we go into depth outside the line, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And if I took that title away from ESPN... Probably, but it's very good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bill, Bill's one of those kinds of guys, Lewis, for whom, you know, we're old school guys, okay? Social media is foreign to us. But when you put into perspective about what you really have to do nowadays, you know, you know he, he's, he knows exactly. Don't press send. And yet, well, you know, we always pick on him and I pick on Baker Mayfield or whoever we do. And, you yeah. know, he brings it to us, and he'll have an opportunity to get into some uh, playoff stuff for sure. The, uh, the great thing about having Bill on is we always get to hear – I mean, look, we're not trying to be, you know, uber political here. I think that's for, right. obviously, Motormouth and Mad Dog. You tend to talk a little <laughs> right. bit about that in real and the rare. You do a little bit of political and socially conscious stuff. But right. I think Bill tends to bring a lot of that cool stuff out too. Right. You know, we talk about social issues in the NFL. Obviously, we've discussed Kaepernick briefly, and mm-hmm. yeah, like you know, stuff like that. It gives us a different perspective. It takes us away from the gridiron or the you know the diamond or the uh, or the wooden court, so to speak, and we get to talk about things that matter beyond you know the playing field. But yeah, I mean, I, I'll pose a question to you real quick—a football-related sure. question. You know, in this season so far, and you can't say Minshew because <coughs> you got your ties to the Jaguars, you and Levin, right? If there's one storyline that surprised you this year more than anything in the NFL, what is it, why, and, you know, explain it. Well, I mean, I've got to say the 49ers being 8-0 does surprise me a little bit. Garoppolo's a fine quarterback, but he's only as good as the weapons that he has Mm -hmm. around him. Yeah. And Kyle Shanahan, to me, is a fine coach. He really is. Everybody knows that when he left the Atlanta Falcons, the Falcons' fortunes went downhill. You bring in a guy like Steve Sarkeesian, and then all of a sudden – Shanahan's done some pretty good things out with the 49ers, like his father, Mike Shanahan, his history to that organization. Yeah, and that shows us that where we're going as a, I think collectively as a sports, or as American sports is concerned, we're going younger with these coaches. Obviously, Jason Kidd was like 46, 47 when he got his first coaching job after the Hall of Fame NBA career that he had. Right. Obviously, that went down in flames because of some off-field issues and some clubhouse issues that he had there. But, you know, obviously Shanahan's one of them, and um, Sean McVay is pretty young, if I believe. And look, well, there's a new trend of younger yeah, coaches. That's look for at sure. look in the MLB real quick. Um, Rocco Baldelli was younger right. than um, teammate um, Nelson Cruz on that team. So like, <laughs> that's a thing. Like I think, but but I think 
the progressive mindset a lot of these you know head coaches and obviously being in these systems for such a long time whether it's at the collegiate ranks or the pro ranks I think it bodes well for them I mean look he, Shanahan's done a fantastic job I think you can make an argument too if we're talking you know coach of the year the AP poll gives that out he'd be one of those guys too but and a lot of that he gets credit for because of how well he's helped that defense and work with those guys right and obviously Nick Bosa is a superstar and he's a personality reminiscent of that of Gronkowski different position but you know those guys are enigmatic in their own way but you know and Garoppolo's you know I wouldn't. I'm not gonna call it half-hearted, but I will say he hasn't lived up to the expectations of the contract that he signed prior to last season. Obviously, he is still kind of recovering from an injury, but I think you'll see Jimmy Garoppolo improve. And Bill Winters made a comment on Tuesday that has stuck with me ever since he said it. He's a he's a young guy and he's capable of learning. And obviously, he learned from the two of the best. Obviously, he learned from a defensive genius in New England and Belichick. He learned from Josh McDaniels, and then he learned from you know number twelve, um, former. Um, possible Montreal Expos prospect Tom Brady at the quarterback position over there in New England. But, yeah, look, is going to be a guy that I think we're going to be hearing about for a long time. I hope everything works out for him. And you know what? I had just thought of another idea, something that we can discuss. So I was at work yesterday, and, this, and I'm talking to one of my employees. And, you know, this guy's a burgeoning football fan. He's growing more into the sport. He's primarily an NBA guy. And, you know, we know Lamar Jackson is a local kid. He grew up in Boynton. He went to high school in, I believe, Right, Capitol right, Beach. right. And we posed it, I posed this question to him. Lamar Jackson right now, you can make the argument that he is the MVP of the league, one of at least, with Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes. So that begged me to ask this question. Scott, and, you know, I, and I'm sure you'll side with me. If you had to pick one quarterback of these two guys, the most complete quarterback in the NFL right now. Okay. Who would you have for the re- for the next five years? Would you have Patrick Mahomes or would you have Lamar Jackson? You know what? I would have to go Patrick Mahomes because I don't think that these mobile quarterbacks are built yeah. uh, for a long term mm-hmm. with a pounding they take. And I feel like we should ask Bill this question too because he obviously well, you, you might be able to do that. We'll see if we can get through the predictions quick enough. You can yeah. do it. Otherwise, you can save it for mm-hmm. uh, Tuesday night. How's that sound? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. I look and because obviously that. The narrative's not going to shift on that. Question. We're going to take Chris Furman's two-minute drill and try to get 20 minutes yeah. out of Bill Winters when it comes to uh, getting some predictions out of him. But I, we'll do well. I with totally that. agree with you about Mahomes. Though I mean, he's the guy that I suggested. And look, an offensive line is going to permeate, is going to decide whether or not you run or not, how often you run. And Lamar right. Jackson just tends to benefit from a very good offensive line right now. He's got a good run game with with Hill and Mark Ingram, our former Deerfield Beach product, so right. maybe they got some local chemistry going there. But yeah, look, my, obviously you can list the number of trick plays that Mahomes has been able to reel off in his two full years as a starter, and I and and obviously he has the ability to bur- burst out of the pocket and run, but it's, it's what we talked about with Foles. Foles is renowned for his throwing arm. Not only does Mahomes have that, but he can not only throw on the run, he can run if you need him to. He's the closest thing I would argue right now to an Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, the only thing Mahomes doesn't have going for him is the dependability of his receivers being because Sammy Watkins has been a non-factor. Mm-hmm. You got Tyreek Hill who was hurt for a while, and the thing that would make Kansas City better if they ever discovered a running attack. Yeah, and they've got Lashawn McCoy mm-hmm. on the roster, so this is a football team that is without a doubt underachieving at six and four. Again, 
there's still, you know, we still have another six games to go. Mm-hmm. So, you know, who knows what kind of conversation we're going to have a week from now or two weeks from now. But as it stands now, I think that Kansas City can get a lot more out of itself than they are doing at the moment because Indianapolis figured them out mm-hmm. is what they I think, did. And I believe Andy Reid's still their head coach, correct? Well, he is, and Andy Reid's a great coach. Yeah. He really is. So. I think he had to be overjoyed with what Mahomes gave him, obviously over 400 yards passing in that first game back. He looked fantastic, and I believe now he's 19 touchdowns to one interception. That's the best mark among all quarterbacks in the NFL. Right. And he's, you know, in my opinion, he's the best quarterback in the NFL. And if Wilson wasn't having the season he was, then and Mahomes didn't miss those two games, he'd be the MVP of the league right now. But yeah, well, again, let's not get into hypotheticals here. I know you like to do that. I have no problem with the hypotheticals. But, you know, in the National Football League, you can't get away mm-hmm. with hypotheticals because you only have 16 games to figure it out. Where with Major League Baseball, you have 162 games, and you can get into those debates a little differently. I know where you're coming from. I like the direction you're going in. But, again, we're talking a different game compared to them. So, but it's not like Mahomes has it won an mm-hmm. MVP, but you have to go by the body of work, which, right. by the way, is all of 16 games. Mm-hmm. But, but you're on the right track. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. Not, but, you know, we'll have to see how it all plays out. Now, your MVPs aren't always as clear-cut as you want to believe with Mike Trout, okay? <laughs> they don't always work I out know, that way, true. White. No, you might think that way, true. but that's not the case. It's true. I look, I just think, obviously, we, he's shown he's not a one-year wonder. The biggest thing for him is going to be, like, if they're going to – he's going to – the way that the Patriots have worked to upgrade the O-line, given that they want Brady to be around as long as they can because they love hosting the Lombardi Trophy over their shoulders – Mahomes is going to – I think Mahomes one day will do that. They need to upgrade that defense. Well, that's it. You yeah. just said it right there. Yeah. I don't care what defensive coordinator you bring in. Okay, the offense can only score as many points mm-hmm. as they possibly can. Get a defense and stop people. You can't have a two-minute drill every two seconds. You can't do it. Mm-hmm. Don't sit here and tell me, okay, that there aren't enough uh, games that they should have won because it's a matter of trying to get into a shootout. Mm-hmm. You can't win a shootout all the darn time, Lewis. Mm-hmm. And you know I'm right. You can't do it. No, you can't. I mean, look at the Patriots game last year. They scored 41 and lost. That was one of the best games I had ever <laughs> well, It's true. That was a very good game. But, I mean, at the same time, Andy Reid's probably sitting there like, could we really not prevent somebody from getting the first down? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's <laughs> like, doing it in a nicer way than that, yeah, for absolutely. sure. absolutely. But, I mean, yeah, look, that's something they're going to have to work on. When you lose to Ryan Tannehill, that was one of the most misleading losses I had seen in a while. Because Mahomes, we know who outperformed who in that game. It's just a matter of uh, the guys on the other end, the other 11 players. They needed to do their oh, job. Oh, that's true. And they didn't yeah, and how job. many times has Bill Belichick told you, do your job, right? Absolutely. So go you figure. Yeah, no, I'm with you. So. I'm with you. But meanwhile, our next guest is uh, Bill Winters. He'll be on any moment. But uh, we've got some football games uh, to talk about. I know the last we had looked at Cleveland Browns were leading 7 to nothing. We'll see where that game is actually at. But we have a good full slate of games. And the one thing I should always say, and I've actually taken the drive down the Ohio Turnpike, and the, uh, you know, I've actually covered games in Cleveland and Pittsburgh. And we'll find out exactly from our crack uh, statistician, Candy Evelyn. She'll give me an updated score on the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns any moment. Okay, and Candy, what you got? I'm still getting it. She's getting it. Okay. She's got the uh, rainbow ring loading. Yeah, she is. All right. So updated score. It is fourteen nothing to Cleveland Browns leading the Steelers at the half. So uh, I may have gotten the fourteen points right on the Cleveland game, but I said twenty-seven fourteen in favor of the Steelers. So guess what? I don't mind admitting when I'm wrong. 
Hey, maybe Baker's listening to this show because and Freddie Kitchens is too because they've played well the last couple of weeks. Obviously, that I think that win against Buffalo wasn't really convincing, though Baker did come back late and he ushered in a game-winning drive. I believe that was the third one of his young career. But look, if they're going to want to like really have to... Well, Baker Mayfield's numbers right now as it stands are 11 for 19 uh, with it looks like a 100... With 151 yards and a touchdown, so no interceptions, right? I mean, no interceptions he either. He led the league tonight, entering play with 12 interceptions throughout. Yeah, but he's been uh, pl- hmm? Pittsburgh. Mason Rudolph threw the interception. Right. Oh, well, so yeah, so he's actually starting to manage the game a little bit. One of the things I said with Rudy Race on our show today was I actually thought that for Cleveland to have a chance in this game, Kareem Hunt and Nick uh, Chubb's uh, the ground game has to be effective for the Browns. Mm-hmm. They really Nick do. Chubb has been. Pretty, ever since that week one game where he was really much of a non-factor, he's been pretty good all season. I believe he was over 100 yards rushing last week. And yeah, but the thing I should point out to you, without no disrespect interrupting, though, Kareem Hunt played uh, for... Kansas City. Right, and I, there's a Kansas City connection with the Browns there. So I believe Ken uh, John Dorsey's your general manager. So I, he gave him an opportunity to go ahead and... Uh, Play and you know we'll see how that plays out. But Cleveland's not out of it yet, but they've got a lot of work. Yeah, they're three and six now, but I think there's still time. Look, with Jar- we really haven't even seen Jarvis Landry have a big game yet. So could you imagine if you have that tandem of Beckham and you know Landry together? I tell me what you think about this because I'm actually starting to ponder it more. I don't really like the idea of having two wide receiver one type of players on your team. I think you need someone who's the clear cut, cut number one. And then somebody else who's almost like supplemental, but he's still far above average. I think that's what they had there because Landry obviously progressed and became the best wide receiver that Miami had had in a long time since one of the Mark brothers in the 80s. But, you know, I just think it's going to create friction in that organization when you have two guys like Beckham and Landry who are as talented as they are, and they're going to have to split catches most of the time. I think it's going to greatly affect their run game. And so far, Landry's really bared the brunt of it because he hasn't really had many big games as far. Beckham has looked better of late which is what we needed to see because there was a one stretch where he had like seven catches over like a three-game span and him and Baker just weren't gelling. But. Well, but again, like you said, you said it throughout the uh, program that, you know, it takes a lot of time. And, you know, again, Freddie Kitchens is your hot topic of conversation, whether he stays around. I don't know, for some reason, I still think he's going to be gone at the end of the year until anybody convinces me otherwise. It wouldn't surprise me, but we're seeing a similar thing here. Like if it would, like we're seeing with Marone, though I – you know, both coaches you can argue are on the hot seat, but if you know, say they end the year nine and seven, and I don't know if that's going to happen, they're going to have to go on some kind of unprecedented run. Well, Rudy Ray's and I talked about this on our program earlier. Greg Williams should have been the guy who should have been the head coach of the Browns, not Freddie Kitchens. But, yeah. but, that, but that's either here or there. Bill Winter should be calling any moment. We'll get into some predictions, and then uh, after that, we'll wrap it up with Xavier McKnight. So Bill always brings it to us, and. Uh, no, we'll see. We got a lot of football games to talk about. We're going to go through them very quickly. And uh, my favorite time of year, man, putting up the tree, getting the lights up, and then you know, obviously making some turkey and watching to see who's going to hoist that Lombardi trophy or be one of the possible <laughs> right. to do so. So I mean, yeah, opening presents and watching, uh, you know, meaningful football games is is always fun. And and talking to Bill Winters is even funner. Hey, Bill, welcome to the Sports Exchange. Glad to have you on, buddy. Oh, I'm doing fine, thanks. Anyways, Bill, we got some football right now. We don't have to ask you what your thoughts of the Cleveland Browns. It looks like they're actually they're actually uh, leading that contest 14 to nothing. So why don't we just look past the Browns and the Steelers, okay, and go on to the rest of the football game, shall we? Okay. 
Okay, uh, we got the Cowboys and the Lions. Amari Cooper against Kenny Galladay. Go ahead. All right, we're going to take the Cowboys in this game. Okay, uh, the Cowboys are going to win, uh, I believe, 28-16. Okay. Uh, okay, uh, we'll go on to the other one. So, uh, all right, we've got, all right, so you say the Cowboys is what you're looking at? Yes, the Cowboys are going to win that game. Very good. Okay, we'll whip through them here, the Jacksonville Jaguars and say Indianapolis Colts. We're going to go with the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts got to get a win to stay on uh, stay on chase of the Texans for the division lead. Buffalo Bills, Miami Dolphins. All right, let me take a look. Our notes here. <laughs> That's a work We're for this one, though, Jeff. We're going to get the Bills on this game. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be a close one, but the Bills are going to get the W. Okay. Houston Texans against the Baltimore Ravens. I guarantee you one thing, the defense will get the day off because of Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson. The Ravens are going to win this game in a close one. Okay, very good. All right. Atlanta Falcons against the Carolina Panthers. Is this another tricky one for the Panthers, or do the Falcons come down to earth and lose? No, I think the Panthers are going to pull this game out. The Atlanta goes back to their losing ways. Okay, Denver Broncos against the Minnesota Vikings. We're taking Minnesota in this game. Minnesota's starting to get on a roll, uh, and we're just going to take them straight up to, to win that game. Uh, going away, 31-13. New Orleans Saints against Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, we're going with the Saints. Uh, Saints are going to win by a field goal. All right, well, a field goal. Okay, I like that. Yeah, these two teams always play each other very closely anyways. New York yes. Jets against the Washington Redskins. Is there such thing as an upset in this one? <laughs> All right, let's take a look and see. Just give me a second. It's all right. Looking at my notes. All right, we're going to take the Jets in this game. Are you? Okay. It's going to be a close one, yeah. All right. Adam Gates has got his contract renewed uh, for next year. They're not going to fire him. That helps a lot. They're coming off a win last week. The Jets get a win in Washington. All right. The Arizona Cardinals and the San Francisco 49ers. 49ers get back on the winning trail. Uh, they win by 11. They win by 11. Okay. Although, I have a feeling this game might be an exciting 11-point differential. Okay. The Cincinnati Bengals are working closer to the 0-16 club, and they uh, get the Oakland Raiders. Oakland's home games are dwindling in the Bay Area. Oakland wins the game going away. Uh, Cincinnati will not get their first win this okay. week. Okay. Uh, Oakland's continuing to drive. They're uh, pretty good up front. They'll just run the football and then get out of there with a W. Yeah, I like the way the uh, Raiders have been playing. New England Patriots against Philadelphia Eagles. All I know is Tom Brady hasn't gotten over that loss two years ago to the uh, Eagles. This is a game of the week. Uh, and we're going to go ahead and take the uh, Patriots in this game. And I think the Patriots kind of established the fact that they're uh, and the Ravens are the best team in the AFC. Sunday. Uh, Philadelphia's still going to win the division, but they're going to have to claw and fight to get the division, but they're going to lose this game. Sunday night, the Bears against the Rams. Taking the Rams in this game. And uh, the reason is it's a road game 
toward the Bears, yes. And, uh, the, the Bears do not have enough offense to keep up with the Rams. Plus, they're coming on the road, so we're going to go ahead and take the Rams. And Kansas City Chiefs against the Chargers. Uh, you have Mahomes against Melvin Gordon. Interesting matchup there. I think this is going to be a great game, but we're going with Kansas City. Oh, yeah. Okay. Are you gonna, you're not going out on a limb with some of these, or what do you think is the closest that you have going out on a limb with any of them? Uh, New England versus Philadelphia. I kind of like Philly in this game, but I'm going, you know, going with uh, New England in this game. I think that might be the one game that I may be wrong at. That's a, it's okay. Nothing wrong with that. So, All right, so let's go over some of the storylines. You've got Nick Foles' long-awaited return. How do you think that turns out for Jacksonville? I think he'll do okay, but uh, going up and playing in Indianapolis on the turf right now and then not being game ready, I think it's going to show up in this game. And that's why I think the Colts are going to win. Okay, now Drew Brees had an off week, I guess, by his standards. Do you think that, do you think that he finally goes ahead and gets back on track? Yes. That's why the best thing to do that is with the Buccaneers because the Buccaneers can play the run, but they can't cover the pass. Do you think the Dolphins have any chance of making it three straight? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, although I think they're going to play, you know, tough, but they'll lose. Okay. Amari Cooper against Kenny Galladay is a very interesting matchup with two premier receivers in the league. I would feel better about Galladay if, we're, if Stafford were throwing the passes, but Jeff Driscoll, I don't know. But we know uh, Cooper to Prescott should be a very, very uh, good connection against a line secondary that generally struggles. The Dallas O-line travels well on turf up in Dallas. I mean, up in Detroit, uh, Dallas gets the win. Lewis, what do you want to add? Um, I mean, hey, look, can you reiterate who Tampa's playing this weekend? New Orleans. New Orleans, yeah. They're loose, but I think Winston's going to put up another game of 200, 300 plus passing yards. I saw a note today, four consecutive games for him of 300 plus passing yards, most in franchise history. But again, the dude is on his way out in that city. I think he's going to find himself elsewhere. He'll have another job next year. I'm sure somebody's not going to want to give up on him because obviously he's shown he's adept at passing. Sometimes he's just throwing to the wrong team. Maybe he's colorblind. He's throwing to the wrong uniform. So, yeah, I mean, that's all I can really add. Uh, I'll be interested to see how Foles does in his first game. Um, Bill, I would ask you this, though. I mean, look, we, we know that Adam Vinatieri has been a bit of a problem for uh, Indianapolis all season. I believe his 73% success rate at kicking field goals is the lowest among NFL kickers. Do you think that that could be a big factor into why maybe Indianapolis may lose this game on Sunday? I think it's going to be a reason why they win it. Uh, and the reason is he's cost them two games this year, and they're still staying with him. Uh, Frank Reich, Frank Reich is a players coach, uh, players coach, uh, and uh, normal, you know, normal teams without a culture would have released him. But because he has such a great track record of being with the Colts and being a clutch kicker, uh, that bodes uh, well for the organization and gives the players confidence to go out and scratch a win when everyone is against them. And uh, that's why I kind of like the Colts in this game. Yeah, we're never going to forget the greatest show on turf against the Rams those many years ago. But, yeah, I mean, it'll be that'll be a fascinating game. I think I think the biggest thing with New England is I don't really think they've had issues with the run game this year. Obviously, Sonny Michelle hasn't been the guy that they drafted in the first round a couple of years ago. But, you know, Jordan Howard, he came back and he looked good for those couple of weeks with Philadelphia. But he seems to have struggled. And, you know, a lot of people in the fantasy community are saying to sit him. So 
If anything, I think Brady and Co. will get back at it after that tough loss to the Ravens, so I agree with you on that one. So, Bill, let's take you out of the pros for a moment, okay? I know we're talking some college football with Mel Farr, so uh, let's talk about the Michigan Wolverines and the Michigan State Spartans. Any takes about that one? Well, Michigan's going to win the game. Uh, Michigan State doesn't have a whole lot of offense this year. Do you think... Yeah, but do you think Mark Antonio should stay around, or do you think that he, uh, the time is up for him to move on? Uh, he stays. Just because the coach is not having an off year doesn't mean uh, that he leaves. Uh, Antonio's a great coach, and he's built that program and deserves to stay, and he's just never an off year. Yeah, and that's what Mel Farr said, too. So, you know what, since you've whipped through the NFL games, let's, well, let's take you to college a little bit for a moment, Okay. Uh, Wake, Wake Forest and Clemson's a very interesting game. Wake Forest has had one of their better years at seven and two, and Clemson is ten and zero. Oh. Clemson's gonna blow them out. You, you think so? <laughs> it's money time. It's yeah. money time. They're playing for the playoffs, and they're kicked off, uh, and they're getting better every week. And uh, Wake Forest to play So what about the Minnesota Gophers? Do you think they're for real? Boy, they really uh, took it to Penn State a week ago. They play Iowa. Yeah, uh, but it's going to be a tough game up there. Uh, they, uh, If you look at their schedule, uh, the beginning of the year, uh, some of the teams they played uh, gave them a hard time, like Georgia Southern and uh, I think one other school uh, that, you know, basically are not national powers, but they, they started getting, they started rolling. Uh, they got it going on, but they haven't been in that uh, rarefied air ever. And going up to Iowa and getting a win up there, that could be a little bit of a trap game. And I think they'll win it, but I think it's, they're not going to, you know, uh, blow them out or anything like that. I think they'll get up there and get a win, uh, but they'll, be, they'll have to scratch and fight for everything. All right, let's talk about the Wisconsin-Nebraska. You know, it's an emotional letdown after you play a game like that. Oh, that's true. Good point, Bill. Let's talk about Wisconsin-Nebraska. One would think on the surface when you schedule the game, it should be closer, but Wisconsin, I think, is a victim of weak scheduling. Yeah, and I think, and they're going to play Minnesota later in the year. But they do take on Nebraska, and they generally beat up on Nebraska. But what are your thoughts about the Wisconsin Badgers? Do you think uh, they're playing for a New Year's Day bowl right now? I think Wisconsin is a sleeping giant. I think they're going to play Minnesota. We'll have to see how Minnesota goes. Uh, and whether or not they're going to be able to uh, get past uh, Wisconsin when Minnesota plays them, I expect them to. Uh, but Wisconsin's got a story franchise and a lot of pride, right? And just because they went out and played uh, one or two games where they kind of showed they couldn't pass the ball doesn't mean that they're not a team to be reckoned with. So I think they're going to go up and you know and beat Nebraska soundly and be ready for Minnesota. And uh, it's going to be fun to watch them. Let's recap a couple games from last week. Okay, Minnesota against Penn State. I actually thought that Minnesota would beat Penn State, and it didn't hurt that P.J. Fleck got a seven-year contract extension. He's he's breathed a lot of life into that Minnesota Gophers program. Were you surprised that Minnesota beat Penn State the way that they did? Uh, when I, when, I, when I, the first quarter was going on, I knew that uh, Minnesota had arrived because their quarterback showed tremendous leadership tremendous boys made all the right decisions and just that play the quarterback at Penn State and uh, Minnesota goes how well their quarterback plays and uh, right now he's doing very very well I don't anticipate him uh, having uh, any any uh, setbacks kind of reminds me of uh, how Boise State used to play you know underrated and they just keep going out there and playing the teams and doing really really well because they're great 
Well, last you know, those stones, as long as they got that quarterback, they're gonna they can play with anybody. He, he threw us a, a nice ball down the rat hole uh, when they really needed it in the, in the fourth quarter, and uh, that's tough. You can't teach that. That's just uh, a kid that has uh, developed and, and learned the offense and has all the confidence of his coaches and his teammates, and is a is a really good leader. It's impressive to watch. Last week, LSU topped Alabama. I had a feeling that LSU would walk into Alabama and beat them. And Ed Orgeron, I think, is one of the most underrated coaches in college football. So what are your thoughts about the LSU program? I think if Alabama plays them again, they're going to beat them. Do you really? Yeah, because LSU had a big lead and almost lost the game. Yeah. And uh, that's LSU. They had mental lapses, always have been. And they got a great quarterback play. They're sitting in the driver's seat. Everybody's singing all their praises. All right, uh, but the reality of it is, Alabama gets another shot at him. I think they're going to beat him if Tua gets Tua stays healthy. He doesn't fumble that ball going into the score. It's a totally different game. Now Alabama's ranked number five. Do you think that that's too high for them at this point? And that no, they're I just think they're right where they need to be because Georgia's going to lose and Alabama will get the fourth spot. Yeah. I think the same, the same two teams are going to play in the championship game. Oh, do you really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about Georgia. Maybe Alabama's going to beat them this time. Let's talk about Georgia Auburn since you mentioned Georgia. They're eight and one. Auburn seven and two. That's always a nice rivalry. Then again, everything in the SEC generally a good rivalry, anyways. I like Georgia in this game, but it's going to be a close one. Uh, the quarterback for uh, Georgia has been playing as well as he has been last year because of his receiving course and his experience as it was in the past. They're having some problems throwing the football. And, uh, they, but they've got that run game, and they'll play really, really well. Auburn will play them tough, and I think Georgia's going to get the win. So, all right, so let's go back to the NFL. I was just curious to get your opinion on some of those games. Do you think Adam Gase deserved that uh, vote of confidence uh, to get that? Sure. Do you? Okay. Sure. Yeah, I get really tired of the revolving doors with organizations. They just need stability. They have a good coach. He's drafted number one. His quarterback is, at least shows uh, that he's getting better every week. Uh, they won some ball games. you got to just stick with him during the bad and not abandon him. Because I, I have a philosophy for every bad thing that happens, some good things are going to happen. And, you know, the Chiefs have been snake bit a little bit with some injuries and some of the stuff that's been going on. Of course, the media hasn't been helpful, uh, you know, throwing, you know, trying to throw them under a bus a little bit from all kinds of stupid stuff on the sidelines. Uh, so the reality of it is they played through all that and they're winning some games, so of course he needs to be back. Because he hasn't lost the team, he hasn't lost the locker room. All right, we, we got a few minutes to go, so I'm going to throw this at you, Bill. Okay, 11 teams, uh, or 12 teams, I guess, if you include Seattle, could, uh, are checking out Colin Kaepernick. I'll list you the teams real quick. And just give me one or two, do you think, could be the most likely landing spot for them. I mentioned Seattle. you got the Car- Arizona Cardinals, the Atlanta Falcons, the Cleveland Browns, the Denver Broncos, the Lions, the Dolphins, the Patriots, the Giants, the Bucks, the Redskins. Name me two teams that you think Colin could be a fit. Are the Bears in there? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, to be honest with you, right now, uh, I uh, this is a little bit of an eminence front. Uh, I think some quarterbacks are looking at some coaches are looking at backup quarterbacks that they know they can put in when they run pass option uh, going down the stretch. So right now, uh, we'll have to see. I, I don't have any team right now that sticks out with me. The one team that I thought might take a shot at them was the Bears. 
However, if they're not sending a representative, then that means they're out. So at this point, I'm not going to speculate because they're just, you know, I don't like to do that unless I have a gun to stick. I honestly don't have a feeling at all one way or the other. But if I had to reach out and pick one, I'd say Seattle. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I know that they had looked into Kaepernick before, but then, you know, they backed away from it. And I think what I like about the Seattle choice, Bill, is the fact that Kaepernick does have a lot of mobility, and as does Russell Wilson. So I think the fit appears to make the most sense for sure. It'd be a good locker room for him because uh, he's in the Pacific Northwest, uh, so he's not going to get a tremendous amount of media coverage. Uh, he can be around a coach that's, uh, you know, a lot older that understands this, understands players, understand what's going on out there, can relate to them. Uh, I think it'd be a good quarterback room with Russell Wilson. Okay, and you know, if Kaepernick, if Russell Wilson for whatever reason gets hurt, you know, you'd like to have a quarterback like Cap in there. They can move around and make the same kind of plays without really shocking your offense. So the more I think about it, I think Seattle might be the possible team that might bring them in. Yeah, and and the more I think about it, okay. You talk about the good locker room. I think Josh Gordon appeared to uh, uh, fit in very nicely on Monday night, even though they eased him in there. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's, some teams, there's some teams like the Patriots, you know, they have mature locker rooms and stability from the top all the way to the bottom, where players that can come in that are perceived as uh, whatever, whatever you want to perceive as problem childs or whatever, you know, all Colin wants to do is play basketball, play football. All right, and uh, you know he's been punished enough. Uh, and you know, quarterbacks are dropping like flies. This is a business, okay. And uh, you know, uh, you know, I've heard some things that uh, you know that he's the one who did this, and the NFL wasn't involved. And some representatives are telling us there's a lot of fallout from this. But I think what Colin needs to do is just show up to Atlanta, be quiet, show what he can do, and I think some good things will happen to him. And, you know, life is very funny, all right? Uh, you know, uh, he's been sitting on the perimeter for a couple of years. Who the hell knows? He might want to be stuck in a playoff game, okay? And uh, the same thing is going to you know, rear its ugly head, okay? You know, with the social media and you know, all the other stuff like that, and he can show his true colors by just being quiet and playing ball and letting his play do his thing, talking for him. So I'm quietly optimistic for him. It's going to have to be with the right organization, and uh, I think Seattle might be the one team that he might have a shot with. Okay, after all, you know we're football players; we're not politicians. Okay, and uh, you know the media has a tendency to over make you know a lot of things overreact on these young men, and you love to see them uh, resurrect their careers, and, and you like to see guys like Archie Three, you know, uh, you know, turn around and have a great career and, and play ball, and then go to a team that has a legitimate shot at winning the Super Bowl. You never know he could be in there if Lamar gets dinged. Uh, you know, Seattle's the same type of environment, uh, and so you know, I think that that'd be a, a possibility for him. So if I was to look at all the teams, that would probably be the team that's most realistic. I have the opportunity. I got one minute to go. Lewis has a quick question for you. Only a minute. Yeah, yeah. Bill Kaepernick's thirty-two. hasn't played in three years. Obviously, the last that we saw of him was ugly. I mean, we know speed doesn't necessarily age well, and he was never an elite passer. I mean, don't you think his his one true asset's going to be compromised a little bit, given that he hasn't played in so long and he's in his early thirties now? For sure, I wouldn't be surprised if he has no takers, uh, just for the very reasons that they had. Uh, on the other side, you know, he's been sending out uh, intel over the last couple of years. He's in shape and he's been training and everything else, which says something about his character. He's 
means the game means a lot to him. So, you know, if a team like Seattle picks him up, I think he can overcome that stuff because of the fact that he'll be in practice and uh, he's in shape. But, you know, he won that run-pass option offense, uh, you know, in key situations uh, just as a backup. I think they'll be able to get away with it. Okay, Bill. That... He's the best out there. He's the best out there. you got to go to the next man up. Yes, sir. All right, Bill, that'll put a wrap on it tonight. I'll be ready to go back to work on Tuesday. Meanwhile, you and your uh, significant other have a great weekend, and we'll do it again Tuesday night. Okay, buddy? You got it. All right, Thank thanks. You. Have a good night. Right, Appreciate it. Take care. Why don't we take a minute real quick and plug Bill Winter's YouTube channel? He mentioned it on last week's show. Sure. Um, yeah, if you guys just search Bill Winter's Football on YouTube for our listeners you know, tuning in with us tonight, you'll get to see some cool highlights from when he played, with, played in uh, – you know, I believe he played with the Edmonton Eskimos at one point. You know, he played. He had some he time. Played in everywhere. His, he had some time in the CFL. So he he uploads full game footage on there. You get to see that kind of grainy, um, Polaroid like game footage from the early '80s. So if you ever want to see anything cool like that, you know, give Bill a follow on Twitter. He's a you know follows YouTube channel. Subscribe to him there. He's got some good stuff on there. I mean, you know. Takes you back to some of the forgotten years in uh, football's history. Obviously, it's not the NFL, but still pretty cool. Bill's always a good talk. You know, he makes, makes always makes some good points. Scott, anything you want to add about him? No, go ahead. I mean, Bill's a great friend to me, and that's why he has a show, just like you. Yeah, no, yeah, Bill yeah, Bill Winters is one of the best friends here at the uh, South Florida Tribune, so, you know, we always love talking to him, and it'll be interesting to see how he is with those predictions. I'm surprised he, uh, you know, him and Mel had some very differing views on that Clemson game. Obviously, Mel thought Wake Forest was going to win, but, you know, Bill comes out and says Clemson's <laughs> going to blow him out. So. Well, sometimes i got to get my boys to go ahead and, uh, get, you know, it's, it's okay to get, you know, it's, it's there's nothing wrong with guys going from pro to college to get a different perspective, and I think that's why I was intrigued to about asking it, but I don't know. I think Clemson's going to win this one's handily too. So, yeah. so I'm going to go ahead and uh, talk about the Michigan uh, Michigan State games because I have a vested interest. And in. I'm a Wolverines guy. I I think the Wolverines are going to blow out Michigan State. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I, I I'm looking at probably 35 to 15 in favor of the Wolverines. Is Michigan even ranked this season? Or? Well, yeah, yeah. The Wolverines are ranked. Yeah. The, the Wolverines are ranked 15th. I'm surprised Harbaugh hasn't, you know taking them to a, a championship game yet I, I mean that's obviously Clemson Ohio State and Alabama are the closest thing we've seen to college football dynasties and you have to use that term loosely when you talk college because of the revolving door of player personnel there so all right well uh, we uh, well here we are with the sports exchange with our closer no I'm not talking about Raleigh fingers Mariano, Tra- Rivera. Mariano Rivera we're talking Xavier McKnight Xavier welcome to Back to the sports exchange, little buddy. What you got, buddy? Well, before we get to the business at hand, let me say that uh, I am feeling very ecstatic right now about some NBA news that came down within the past hour and a half. Okay. Carmelo Anthony is back in the NBA. Really? He has agreed to a non-guaranteed contract with the Portland Trailblazers. Really? And things are looking like he will actually be available to play for Portland's game on Monday which just so happens to be against the Houston Rockets. <laughs> well, no wonder you're waiting till the end, so you can give us this stuff, right, Xavier? Good stuff, buddy. The headband's not going away, right, Xavier? <laughs> uh, absolutely not, and I'm, I'm looking forward to Monday 
I'm looking forward to seeing what Carmelo's going to bring to the table. It's a non-guaranteed contract, so it's a win-win situation for everybody involved. Carmelo gets back in the NBA. The Portland Trailblazers don't have to pay him any money. And there's another player in the league on a non-guaranteed contract right now, Dwight Howard. That's working out pretty well for the Lakers, Mm -hmm. I must say so myself. Yeah, no, he's been great off the bench for them at the center position, you know, following those games. I mean, you know, LeBron's got everybody firing on all cylinders so far this year. And I don't I don't believe Anthony Davis played last night, but they still look really good right now. Yeah, yeah well, they rested him due to a shoulder and a rib injuries, and they're not major injuries. They're minor injuries, but I'm glad they rested him and he didn't go out there and play to cause any further damage. Okay, well, you know what? I'm glad they that some interesting breaking news. We don't give the NBA a lot of coverage, but at least you did. So let's. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, well, I mean, Anthony will get b- buried up in the Pacific Northwest and Rip City. So no media coverage. Whatever he does, he does. But more power to him. So let's talk about something we spoke about on Tuesday night with Tony Larusa uh, joining the LA Angels and get into the dynamics of that whole situation. You know, I still feel the same way that I felt about it on Tuesday. Once again, when it comes to baseball, I believe he is the MLB's equivalent to what Jerry West is to the NBA. I really believe the Angels are building something special to now go around the three-time American League most valuable player, Mike Trout. I just thought I would include that line in there because I was surprised to see that he ended up winning this year's AL MVP. But I know exactly what those votes came based off of. Had he not gone down with his injury in September when he did, there's no question his numbers would have been greater than any other player in that league from an RBI standpoint, a home run standpoint, and maybe even a batting average standpoint. So you have the best player in baseball to now build around, and you have three great baseball minds in the room. And I'm just ready to see what else is going to happen now. The offseason and free agency are officially underway. Will Smith signing a deal. No, I'm not talking about Will Smith, the actor, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Will Smith, the baseball player, the former closer of the San Francisco Giants. He signed a three-year deal with the Atlanta Braves this afternoon for around $39 million. Now, despite him being the closer in San Francisco, the word out of Atlanta is that Mark Melanchon will remain on as the closer for the team. But, Lewis, I'm pretty sure that's not going to be the case for most of the season once they get back underway starting in April. No, you have two different types of pitchers there. Melanchon, as we understand, which we need to understand, is he came up through the ranks with Houston, really burst onto the scene there. He had some struggles with the Yankees and the Red Sox, but he found his niche in Pittsburgh. There was a four-year stretch, I believe it was from 2011 to 14. He averaged a one. He had like a 185 ERA over that span. I mean, that's you know it's over 200 games pitched out of the, the Pittsburgh bullpen. That's when you know, obviously everything was clicking on all cylinders with you know Clint Hurdle and Co. and Ray Searage, pitching coach over there. He's kind of like a low 90s cutter slider kind of guy. Whereas with Will Smith, he's a lefty with fastball curveball. Very very common, you know, a atyp- uh, typical delivery for a left-handed reliever. But I I think I I personally love the move he turned down. A low, higher AAV with a qualifying offer from the Giants, but the Giants' perspective, they get a draft pick compensation for that. Bumgarner's probably going to turn down his draft, his qualifying offer as well. So San Francisco benefits from this, but I think the Braves benefit from it as well because their bullpen was really an Achilles' heel and what did them in 
in the playoffs in 2019. But yeah, I love this move, Xavier. I mean, I can't can't agree with you more. I think it's very smart on their end to go after and sign him. And Alex Anthopoulos, I applaud him for the move that he made today. Now, with the Tony LaRusso moves that are happening, there is one name in particular, and Lewis, you threw this out on Tuesday, I believe. And now I'm actually seeing this more and more. The Yankees have come out and already said they plan on going after him as well. The Braves, they plan on going after him. He's main priority. But it wouldn't surprise me if Madison Bumgarner does remain in California and he's actually an angel next year. It wouldn't shock me either. We have to take this into account. San Francisco, now I believe it's called Oracle Park, is a very good pitcher's park, as is Angel Stadium. Obviously, Mike Trout makes it look a little bit more ridiculous given the way that he's played over there. But, you know, Mike Trout is, in my opinion, maybe the best player I've ever seen this side of Barry Bonds. So, look, it doesn't it doesn't shock me. Bumgarner is probably going to go somewhere, I think, like Atlanta. I'd like to see him in, in with the Angels, though. I think he'd give them an established ace. And then if you go after, I mean, say they get lucky and they sign a Garrett Cole, and they, you know, they're going to have to overpay a little bit. But I think Artie Moreno's okay with doing that. I, you know, I think they're, you know, I think they're going to be in good shape next year. Do I think they're a playoff team? No, but at the same time, like, you know, you add a veteran presence like Bumgarner, and you give him, given his postseason pedigree, you know, the steps that Mike Trout has to take to get a ring get a lot easier that way. Well, I'll say this, too, when it comes down to the Angels. I don't believe there'll be a playoff team next year. But no matter what the team looks like next season, no matter the moves they make this offseason, I'm not going to question the plan of Tony LaRusso, Joe Madden, Mickey Callaway, and anybody else in that front office. Those are guys that know what they're doing. They know how to build baseball teams. They know how to build championship teams. So I'm not going to question that at all. I'm just going to be looking mainly to see what the culture seems to feel like or what it may look like just from the outside looking in going forward with that organization. We know they had a very nasty, tragic, and ugly situation take place earlier this year in the summer with the Tyler Staggs death that took place, and that investigation has slowly quieted down, and once they're able to officially overcome that, I believe they can start building this team in the direction that they truly want to build it in. Scott, let's uh, get some thoughts from you on this as well. Scott's actually MIA. He, uh, he, had, well, he actually just came back right now, but you know he'll give his thoughts on that in a second. Scott, we're, we're talking real quick, and I'll give you a brief overview. Um, we're talking about how, obviously, the Angels were dealt a tough situation at the outset of right. July with the unfortunate passing of Tyler Skaggs due to a fentanyl and alcohol mixture uh, right. given to him by what they believe to be a team doctor. Do you think, obviously, with the hiring of Madden, Callaway, and now La Russa, do you think they're building a special culture over there in do I think, down by Disneyland? Do or? I think? No, yeah. I know they are. There you go. I mean, that's all there is clear, That's all there is to it, yeah, without a doubt. Anytime you can put together Joe Madden and Tony La Russa in the same building, and, I, and again, I, I'll point out to you, I worked with Mickey Callaway this past spring mm-hmm. up in Port St. Lucie. you got a lot of good baseball minds, and who's to say how many other baseball minds you're going to have in there? Yeah, I'll be curious to see how they round out the coaching staff. And, Xavier, it's important to note that <coughs> Mickey Callaway was the manager for Jacob deGrom those two seasons when he won right. the signing award. And, obviously, I mentioned before, he was with those pitching greats in Cleveland. Obviously, Carrasco, Salazar, right. Kluber, and now the emer- now the emergence of you know Mr. Um, long hair. God, I'm forgetting his name. Obviously, Trevor Bauer and right. um, Mike 
Oh, Mike Clevenger, I'm sorry. There you That's go. That's all right. So, you know, Callaway, you know, he bleeds pitching, and I think Madden's obviously got a good guy to work with there. I think they're going to do a lot of surprising things this year. But I know you wanted to talk about, obviously, a report came out the other day that Garrett Cole doesn't plan on signing until after the new year. Yes. As far as my thoughts on that, I don't believe that this will end up being a holdover as long as Bryce Harper and Manny Machado was. Because there seriously was a stint throughout the offseason where I thought that the baseball season was going to open up and those guys were not going to be on rosters because that's how long that would take. But I'm glad Garrett Cole has come out and actually said this now because it gives him time to really take a huge thought process on this. Also to just get away from the game because right. they're coming off of a long, dueling, grueling season. Hard-fought World Series just came up short to Washington Nationals. So it gives him a chance to really step back and process what he's going to do with the next steps of his baseball career and his life. And But I know Scott Boris is going to make sure that Garrett Cole gets well paid. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that I do know. And let me say this right now, simply as a Yankee fan, I know they plan on going after him and or Steven Strasburg. I don't know where they're going to get the money from to sign both of those guys, knowing that they have other guys that they're going to have to take care of in the future anyway, like in Aaron Judge and Aguilar Torres and Andrew Carr and guys like that. Right. I don't know where they're going to get that money from, but as much as I want Garrett Cole in New York, I don't believe the best way for the Yankees to solve this is to break the bank on one guy. All right, let me let me uh, yeah let me add something to this if I may. Okay, oh, the, where are they going to get the money? They've got it. The question is, is how much do they want to go over the luxury tax? Mm-hmm. That, so I want to make sure I preface that. Unlike any other sport where you have a salary cap, you know, we all all three of us know there is none there. But remember, Hal Steinbrenner spends money differently than George Steinbrenner. Mm-hmm. So and yet, I, I like the way the Yankees organization is being run. You know, you don't have to worry about a managerial change every single year either and this new and improved age with the Yankees. So, didn't mean to interrupt you there, Xavier, but where they get the money is if they want to really, really spend it, they will, and they will take care of their player. Name too many players that the Yankees have ever wanted to keep that they don't get unless they outright sell them get away. The only one that really comes to mind to me, and I know you probably know who it is, but I'll say it anyway before you get to it, okay, is Robinson Cano. Ricky Henderson, too. Well, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, right. But Robinson Cano, you know, uh, went to Seattle. But the, whoever the Yankees want, they usually get them, and they usually keep them. Go ahead, Xavier, continue on. Well, you know what, Scott? I'll preface those comments simply by saying thank you to Robinson Cano for doing that for the Yankees organization. <laughs> Because he simply just went on the decline every single year after that. So I thank him for making that decision for the Yankees organization. It was a hard day in 2013 when he made that decision. But I'll take it now considering how things have now gone for the Yankees and how things have gone for him, the Mariners, the Mets, and anything else that he's done within that time. So the Yankees actually, you know, that was a blessing in disguise for them. And, yes, I agree, the money is there, but I'm going to say that I know that it's about how much are they willing to go over the luxury tax. Right, right. That's where the Steinbrenner family gets me. Hell and Hank are not the late, great George. Mm -mm. George would do that without question, 
worry about that later because it's about winning and winning at all costs and winning at the highest level. I don't know if this fiscal family is going to be willing to do that. But with that being said, uh, Lewis, I'm going to pose this question to you. Sure. Do you see this as an opportunity for the Yankees to find some way to also unload the contract of Giancarlo Stanton in a way? Because I don't question his talent. I don't question his ability. I question his durability. That's what I question. Yeah, so here's the note I'll give you, and I'll, I'll give you two. I'll give you one on Cole, and I'll give you one on Stanton. Obviously, they have one more year of Jacoby Ellsbury, and that contract has been an albatross to, of which of ma- magnanimous proportions. It's ridiculous. He hasn't played for them since 2017. As far as Stanton is concerned, they still, they're still on the books for seven years, and he just turned 30. The, the thing that I want to see them do with Stanton and the way that it's going to work, and I realistically, if you gave Cashman truth to him, it'd be like this. They want him to be healthy in 2020, and if he plays 135, 140 games, note he's averaged 108 games a season since he debuted, so obviously he's missed extended time due to injury. He's almost like Larry Walker Jr., but um, they're going to want him to have a strong 2020, and if they do, you know, they're going to try to trade him. I think they. Do. I don't think they're going to be able to do it this offseason, and I understand that comes in a very strange time because they're going to try to sign Cole. But Cole, in my opinion, is going to be the difference maker if he were to wind up there. And here's why. I mentioned this to Scott earlier. Cashman came out at the GM meetings yesterday and said they're interested in talking to Bumgarner. That's fine. But the problem with signing Madison Bumgarner, a pitcher who has been in decline the last couple of seasons and missed some time in 2018 due to injury, is the fact that you're going to have a very left-handed heavy starting rotation. You just saw CC Sabathia retire, a lefty whose average fastball velocity was pretty much in line with what we're getting from Bumgarner now. They also throw from similar arm angles. Teams pick up on this. That's what makes great offensive teams great. The Astros beat the Yankees because of their propensity to rely on left-handed starting pitching. Here's one thing, Xavier. The Yankees' projected starting rotation without Garrett Cole next year looks to be a mixture of Luis Severino, Masahiro Tanaka, who has a torn UCL, an UCL that's been torn since his first season of that seven-year, $155 million contract he signed prior to 2014. You have James Paxton, Jordan Montgomery, who is also recovering from Tommy John surgery, and Jay Happ. The commonality at the back end of that rotation is those are three consecutive left-handed pitchers. I don't know if they want to throw a fourth lefty in that rotation. Lefties are deceiving, but what makes them deceiving is they're a rare commodity. If you go, if you play a three-game series against Tampa, a team that knows how to scratch out walks and they don't strike out that much, right. I mean, look at a guy like Tommy Pham or you know Joey Wendell or Brandon Lau. Guys like that are going to pick up on that, and Paxton's going to have a rough time getting guys out. Obviously, we saw it in the playoffs until that last start that he made. But adding a fourth starting pitcher that is a left-hander, especially a, a guy that's declining, take him from a pitcher's park in San Francisco and you throw him in a hitter's heaven, a boombox in New York City, it's a recipe for disaster. Garrett Cole, on the other hand, obviously worked around six innings in the Yankee Stadium with no command, and he wound up pitching a gem, obviously a compromised gem because of all the walks the Yankees took, but you're going to want to go with a power right-hander. Strasburg, on the other hand, he's not going to go there. I think he's going to go back to D.C. We actually heard a report today that the Padres are actually already out on him. They're not going to go after him. Oh, is that right? Really? Okay. So, you know, it's obviously, it's down to two teams, but I think Strasburg winds up back in D.C., Rendon. The Yankees could even look at Rendon because they've talked about trading Andujar. So, realistically, 
I don't like Bumgarner there. Stanton is going to have to regain some of that value, the trade value, obviously, I'm referring to. And they're going to try to unload that contract if he has a strong 2020. But that's an if. So they have some questions that they need answered. All right, let's curtail that discussion a little bit. And I want to ask you, Xavier, your thoughts about Justin Verlander winning the Cy Young Award in the American League. Yeah, so here you go. So the one thing that I like to see, and it's an old-fashioned statistic, but it carries relevance nowadays, is innings pitched. Justin Verlander led baseball in innings pitched this year. He threw 223 innings. Garrett Cole pitched 212 in the third innings this year, or 211 in the third. He Garrett Cole averaged 6.43 innings a start this season. And I wrote a piece that you can find in the Tribune, Xavier, about why I believe Verlander's Cy Young Award was all but a formality. Verlander and Garrett Cole each limited opponents to an OPS of 579. What's more impressive about Verlander doing that is that he did it over, he's facing the same lineups, and he did it over a longer stretch of innings. Obviously, you know, those that surplus of innings hurt him in the playoffs. We saw what a liability he was in the World Series. But the home runs, the 36 home runs that Verlander allowed, don't matter when they have the same opponent OPS over those stretch of innings. And if you want to talk strikeouts, Verlander struck out 300 batters, too. He also had the second-lowest DRA in a season in his career. So it was justified. He also threw a no-hitter. So purists like Scott and somebody like me who loves to see no-hitters, that was, you know, I think that was the nail in the coffin for it. Two Cy Youngs, Verlander's already a Hall of Famer. This just further solidifies right. it. Right, oh, no doubt about that. So, hey, listen, we got about two and a half, three minutes to go. I'll uh, let you two young next-gens uh, battle it out here. Uh, what do you want to talk about, and how is Lewis going to respond, Xavier? Okay, so so postseason and postseason doesn't count in the factoring for Cy Young awards. The thing that hurt Bueller is if you look at his April statistics, they weren't strong. He had a rough outing in Colorado, I believe, where he gave up seven runs, and he I mean, and to Degrom's defense too, Degrom had a four eighty five ERA in April. But one thing that separates Degrom is the fact that he managed to pitch to a two forty three ERA for a team like the New York Mets, who I did the calculations this year, or today, Xavier, the Mets were worth negative, I believe, 78 defensive runs saved, which means their defense was so bad they cost the Mets 78 runs on defense. So, Jacob DeGrom, there's another statistic I'm going to use. It's called RA9 defense, which factors in how much your defense helped you as a pitcher. DeGrom's not necessarily a ground ball pitcher because he led the league in strikeouts this year. He's a strikeout pitcher. He had 269 last year. He had 255 this year. DeGrom's RA9 defense for the, when the Mets, and this is the Mets defensive metrics when he was playing, was negative .38. That's terrible. For Ryu, who's not a power pitcher who finished second in the Cy Young race, the Dodgers, who are one of the best defensive teams in baseball, their, their RA9 defense was .5, which means they were 50% above average of the rest of the league, while the Mets were 38% below average. So DeGrom benefited from a bad defense. There's also a statistic called runs above average, which measures pitcher ability. DeGrom's runs above average this year was 52. 
Ryu's was like 33 and Scherzer's was 40. So wins are an arbitrary statistic. The Mets also only averaged a ground 4.1 runs per game. Scherzer, they got 4.4. For Ryu, they got 5.3. So DeGrom benefited from a bad offense, but he also was the best pitcher in the National League. Again, you want to use war. 7.3 pitcher war by baseball reference. That's the best of any pitcher in the National League. So his award was all but one, and he won it. So, I mean, it's entirely justified. Okay. Well, I think that's probably, as yeah, as far as I'm concerned, obviously, uh, Mickey Callaway still gets somewhat credit for what he's done mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And, you know, I don't care what anybody says about Mickey Callaway. The guy can flat out uh, coach, manage, maybe maybe to the Mets standards. He's a great baseball mind. And the only thing I'm, I'll be intrigued about with the Angels situation as to what type of coaching staff they put together around Joe Men. But you got an awful lot of good baseball minds out in Orange County. You really, mm-hmm. really, really mm-hmm. do. So, you know, it's interesting stuff. I'm glad we had a chance to spend more time on both of these subjects as well. So we'll come up with some new uh, material over the weekend. Saber McKnight. Yeah, so Carmelo Anthony with the Blazers. You know, we'll see what he's got. If I've been to Portland before myself. So, you know, very small market. Give him a chance to play, and why not? I mean, those non-guaranteed contracts that both Dwight Howard has and then – you're talking about Carmelo Anthony. You have everything gained, nothing to lose. Remember sure. those Michael Beasley contracts? He got all those ten-day contracts. He got with the Heat. So I mean, right. Well, I mean, the bottom line is, is low risk, high reward is what you, is really what you're looking at. So, and Xavier, so, Scott, Scott, I have two things I want to say before we go off the air. Sure. The first about the uh, Carmelo Anthony yeah. deal. Listen, I believe that's a cage lion that's ready to pounce. I'm excited to see what it is that he's going to come out there and bring. Obviously, he's not in his prime anymore, but I believe he can help that team out exponentially. And when it comes down to the Mickey Callaway situation and the Mets, well, Carlos Beltran appears to be getting in some trouble. So, we'll see how this ends up working out. Okay, that's fair. Anything you want to add before we sign off? Look, Xavier, you'll agree with me because you're a far bigger NBA fan than I am, but when he was going through that saga with re-signing with the Knicks and even with all of these ensuing releases with Atlanta and Houston, I don't think there was one player in the NBA who did enough and performed on a professional level, said all the right things, but was treated as poorly as Carmelo Anthony was. So I, you know, I give him credit. Even going back to his days in Denver and the days with the Knicks, Carmelo Anthony is one of the most professional and respected men in the NBA, in my opinion. Well, okay. I agree with you on that 100. All right, well, I'll let you guys agree on that. And meanwhile, that puts a wrap on this uh, tonight's edition of the Sports Exchange. We'll be back at it on Tuesday night. Meanwhile, I hope both of my young guys. And everybody else out there has a great, great weekend, and we will do it again. So on behalf of, uh, my name is Scott Morgan, Roth, Motor City, Mad Mouth. I'm Louis Adio Weiss. And I'm the inspector, Xavier McKnight. You guys have a great weekend, and we'll do it again next week. Bye-bye, everybody. Take care. Good night, everyone. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there are over 10,000 wine grape varieties worldwide? Here's to thousands of gift possibilities. My go-to holiday wine is Chardonnay. I love it with turkey and potatoes. Pile on the gravy. Let me show you our more than 8,000 party-perfect wines that are in your budget and out of this world. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you. This holiday, now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers!
Right now, when you come in and switch to T-Mobile, you get the amazing iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. <sighs> Aren't these mountains majestic? Joe, are you even looking? I'm posting these amazing pics I took with my iPhone 11 Pro. It has three cameras. Whoa, those pics are amazing. And you have service too? T-Mobile. Their newest signal goes farther than ever before. Uh, then you can look up whether these are bear tracks, right? Or we could just run. Come to a T-Mobile store today and get iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. And right now, get four lines for just 30 bucks a line with AutoPay. Switch today. Contact us if you cancel or credits may stop in full price due, plus taxes and fees via 24 monthly credits for well-qualified customers with qualifying service and finance agreement. Zero down with trade-in plus 3125 times 24 months. Pre-credit price, 999 dollars 0% APR while supplies last.